The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Yo, 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 what up? This is Rocky Asuka Romero of Chaos, and you are listening to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the ace of podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the ace of podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get-go, boy Yeah, from Tampa Bay to the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts, Jeremy Donovan And the young boy, Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Dobbin here with the young boy Josh Smith On today's show we will review Wrestle Kingdom 17 and New Year's Dash And cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network Or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice And leaving a rating interview You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com. Frequently updated and with features like dark mode, improved translation to layouts, custom and share plus, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I cannot remember the last time we uh, recorded a podcast in person. Oh, wait. Yes, I can. That was December 17th. Right, but just solo, though. <laughs> just the two of us. Yeah, it's been a while, so... um. We are live in person, even though there is no video here to prove it to you guys. We are in the same room and, uh, you know, we are doing what we do. Um, luckily, for those of you that um, checked out the bonus episode that I dropped this past week, uh, my review of New Japan Tamashi Nights 1 and 2, uh, as you can hear, my voice has improved a bit ever since my uh brief bout with covid so i'm glad for that but it's gonna be good to have a partner here to kind of carry the load that was uh, (laughs) a daunting doing a show by myself yeah doing solo shows are they're definitely harder than you think it is like yeah i'm just gonna you know talk and everything will be fine but then after a while it's like all right you your your throat's given out especially when you're sick your throat's given out and then you try to figure out what to say and you have to play off yourself yeah i always play off myself uh (laughs) Oh man! <laughs> but we uh, we got a lot to cover here. I mean, I took the last two days off. I know you're off this week, so uh, I, I, you watched uh, Wrestle Kingdom live, right? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't my original plan, but I had something come up that I had to do something in the middle of the day because you know normally we, we we try to get together and we'll get up, you know, like you know, a nice nine ten a.m. get together and watch it that way. 
Uh, but I had something I had to do uh, for family in the middle of the day. So I was like, you know what? It's to avoid spoilers and to make it just easier on myself. I'm going to get up uh, at three. I'm going to watch the main card, watch the pre-show later and, and just do that. And, and I'm glad I did that way because uh, the main card was an awesome show and it was so good to watch it live and spoiler free. Yeah. Um, I only mainly brought it up just cause like you gotta be so tired at this point. Oh dude. <laughs> right, right before dynamite yesterday, I was like crashing. <laughs> That's hilarious. See like me, I, uh, I just did it leisurely. Like I threw on the show or I woke up early. Like I was like a little kid, like waiting for like my Christmas presents. Like I was like trying to force myself to sleep and like, you know, uh, I don't know. I like woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, Wrestle Kingdom's happening right now. <laughs> I went back to sleep. But then like I woke up and like I threw the show on, but I, I also have like a lot of, uh, it's a day off. So I have a lot of things I want to get done. So it's like, I'd watch a match, do a load of laundry, watch a match, walk the dog, you know, stuff like yeah. that. So it took me all day <laughs> to watch all of wrestle kingdom um but you know that was great and it kind of broke things up and then after a couple hour break i watched uh, AEW. so is a is a marathon day yesterday yeah long day i watched uh, dynamite from seattle with the new uh set and everything new stage and then colors and all that stuff and then but today was funny because my my girlfriend was like, "You have the day off, like you know, when are you guys gonna record?" And I was like, "Well, I'm going over to Jeremy's. We gotta watch New Year's Dash and or New Year Dash." And she's like, "Oh, so it's gonna be like all day again?" And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, not, you know, <laughs> not, not all day. You know, it's gonna be some time, you know." So, but we're here, and um, this has got to be one of the best Tokyo Dome shows in the last three years. Obviously, makes sense. COVID has really restricted things quite a bit, and. Uh, you know, we had one night Tokyo Dome. We had cheering crowds return. We had we had twenty six thousand people in that Tokyo Dome. Yeah, and I mean, just from some of the early preliminary things we're hearing, uh, you know, I, I want to let the cat, cat out of the bag, but we're hearing good things, positive things about the gate and the uh, that that is that's going to be a good thing for the bottom line of New Japan and Bushi Road, which is a good thing for them at just being sustainable from a financial standpoint, which is awesome. Um, Bringing foreigners in from the outside, you know, people from other companies, big surprises, all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, we should definitely get into it. And we just finished New Year Dash, which has got to be the most, probably ever, the most um, angle-heavy New Year Dash that they've ever done. What I feel like they did was they took the last two years. Actually, we even had one last year. Right, because we had, uh, for the last two years, we've had double domes. Well, the last two or three years, right? Right, but we had a New Year Dash in 2021. 2021 and we had one in 2020 but we didn't have one oh i'm sorry we did not have one last year in 2021 but right. we, we did in 2020 and 2019 yeah yeah that's right oh man i'm messing the years up okay we're in 2023 now yeah so we did not have one in 2022 right but we did in 2020 and 2021 right yeah yeah and we both thought that they were fairly weak shows and what i feel like they did was they took all the angles that they would have you know, done. <laughs> they saved them. They saved them, <laughs> yeah. and they like just rolled them into this year's show. So, Dude, based off the booking, I'm convinced like Gato let like Dick Togo book for the last few years just for fun. He's like, I'm gonna, I have a lot of plans. I'm gonna save these until like crowds are good again. Like Togo, you have fun for the, these couple of years, and I'm gonna bust everything out when 
It's good and ready. Well, I don't want to blow up their spot, but, you know, our friends over at Voices of Wrestling, they put out some pretty uh, interesting and kind of titillating news about contract situations and offers being made and stuff like that and the dissolution of Suzuki Goon and who made that judgment call. And Mm -hmm. seeing the booking of New Year's Dash today leads me to believe that they are spot on right on the money, even though people don't like to admit that they ever are or mm-hmm. give them their, their roses or their flowers or whatever. I'm going to say like, uh, based on the booking today, I'm like, I don't know if they should even broke up. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we'll talk about that uh, in a second here, but I guess we should start off with uh wrestle kingdom 17. First thing I'll shout out to all our listeners, any new listeners that are checking us out for the first time. Like here, we are keeping it strong style. We cover New Japan Pro Wrestling every week. We've been doing this on our sixth year now. So welcome to the show, and thanks for listening and downloading. But yeah, we're going to review Wrestle Kingdom 17. So we're going to start with the also, pre-show. Also, quick disclaimer. This is not like one of our usual shows. We don't have a run sheet. We don't have... Uh, a, we, we cover a lot of things on our shows, and it's typically very organized and... This is kind of all just off the dome. We're calling it in the ring. We're calling it in the ring, brother. (laughs) (laughs) So um, stick around because, I mean, I'm sure next week's show is... Actually, we're we're doing the awards next week. That's right. Next week, we're going to announce the winners of our sixth annual year-end awards. There was a ton of uh, close calls, close categories. Thank you to everybody who uh, voted again this year, making the awards great. So, yeah, next week, we'll announce the winners. We'll put out... The graphics on social media on all the winners in all 20 categories. Yeah. So, I mean, from a, a structure standpoint, this shows a little, it's always like this when we cover uh, Wrestle Kingdom. So we have, we always usually have the most amount of people tune in for this episode. And I just want to say tune in next week and you'll see like what the real is like. But the one thing that doesn't change between structures and everything like that is we are not going to sugarcoat or candy coat anything. We're going to give you that. That truth, that, that realness, real. that real. We're going to give you that real. And um, yeah, let's get into it because we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, so we'll start with the pre-show of Wrestle Kingdom 17. The show opened up with the debut of Bolton Oleg taking on Rihai Oiwa. They went to a three-minute time limit draw. And this was, like I said, the debut for Bolton Oleg, a you know prospect now in the Noge Dojo uh, really great amateur wrestling background. Uh, he was rocking the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling singlet. For you guys who don't know, New Japan actually has its own amateur wrestling team that is coached by Yuji Nagata. Um, so Bolig rocking one of those and has been spending a lot of time training uh, with Yuji Nagata in the Noge Dojo. Uh, so I'll say, I mean, three minutes here, n- not a whole ton to analyze, but Josh, what are your kind of first thoughts? The first time we're seeing uh, Oleg in the ring, what do you think? You know, I just, I can't get over the fact that they let this man come out, not only just not in black boots and black trunks, but with colorful gear. In a singlet. In a singlet, <laughs> with a logo, with sponsorships on it. This man is like, proto, like he's like the new age prototype for a Brock Lesnar type guy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But uh, no, I, I actually made that same joke to Chris because uh, we were chatting privately and he's like, bro, it's an exhibition. And I was like, fuck that. He needs to be black boots. Shave his head. His head's already shaved. Yeah. Shave his head. <laughs> and he's like, dude, it's not, he's like, it's not like his real debut. It's an exhibition. He's, nah. And I was like, nah, bro. We, are we, we treating. It's on tape. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, I had a couple, you know, exhibition matches, and they're on tape, but they don't count. My record is still unblemished. Well, well they haven't been, been aired. His match was aired on NJPWWorld.com, <laughs> over 100,000 subscribers. No, but um, I do think it's interesting. Um, I I kind of knew that they had these, these amateurs, but, like, I did a little bit more digging, and it seems like earlier this year, like in September, they rebranded it from being like a, a Bushi Road sponsored team to being like actually Team New Japan. And they have some other standouts on the team, Takeshi Yamaguchi and Takashi Ishiguro, uh, who've both had a lot of really great success and um, have aspirations for like freestyle, like World Cups and, you know, the, the Olympics. And Oleg Bolton's very acclaimed as well. You And actually, you know, it's funny. Here's the thing that's confusing to me. Um, they kept calling him Bolton Oleg. And so I thought we messed it up. And then I did some research and his name is Oleg Bolton. Mm. But they're doing that Japanese thing where they do the last name first. Right. But I don't know why. Because he's they, not. Yeah, they don't do that for They usually foreigners. don't do it for foreigners. So yeah. maybe. Now, I did notice um, in the post-match that he speaks Japanese like fluently, which was pretty impressive. So he's definitely a smart guy as well as like put together, obviously. But um, yeah, I was very impressed. I actually liked the idea of them having the amateurs dress like amateurs, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe like what's the thing called in WWE that they have the performance center. No, the yeah, but the the thing that they where they're signing the amateurs. Oh, the, um, that college thing or whatever the, um, What's it called? I forget now. It's like some college athlete program thing. Right. Well, they yeah, they have a program where they get together with college athletes and pre-sign them. And whether that works out or not, I don't know. But it seems to be that this amateur program run by Yuji Nagata is kind of akin to that, where they are going to be able to, like, train these guys, sponsor them, you know, blah, blah, blah. But then um, also kind of break down the, the walls for allowing those guys to come in and work in the dojo and also get signed to new Japan. So it's sort of like a, a brother sister program to like the dojo system, which they've never done this before, but I like the idea of it. And it it might also help up kind of speed up that process. Which we've been hearing, you know, Bushi road wants guys to go through that dojo process faster. So if they're already working with Fuji Nagata, obviously they're doing amateur wrestling, but a lot of that training is kind of similar to what they do in the Nogue dojo. So if they're kind of already kind of getting a little bit of that in that amateur program, that could speed up things when they get into the Noge Dojo officially. Well, in the history of New Japan, and you've, you could even look at, like, the, the history of the territories and maybe WWE's heyday, like, some of the greatest wrestlers and, and people that were amazing prospects that grew into big stars were, you know, top athletes, especially in amateur wrestling. Uh, the, the Chris... Charlton also mentioned on commentary that Aaron, and he called him Wolf Aaron, which again, his name's Aaron Wolf, but he's a world gold medalist, uh, Judica, you know, in, in both the Olympics and the world championships. And that he has also made, um, his interests known that he will, after he's done competing, he wants to come work for new Japan, which this is all this is <laughs> really exciting stuff because in the past, if you were an amateur in these sports, the two places that you pretty much said you wanted to go was like, you were either going to coach or you're going to go to WWE, or you're going to go to the UFC, or, right, or MMA. Yeah. But the idea that there are people out there that are highly accomplished that can see New Japan specifically as like an alternative route is really exciting and interesting. As far as the match, this wasn't what I thought it was going to be. I, I almost, because I'm not that educated on 
Oleg Bolton or this whole system. I thought maybe he was a finished product. <laughs> oh, no, it was going to be like, a, he was just going to wreck him. Like I thought he was coming in and giving him the Brock Lesnar, you know, <laughs> yeah. like the Gary Albright, like he was just going to suplex, you know, and I figured like, Oi was like a good enough guy to like, just take it. And it's fine. Cause he's a young lion, but mm-hmm. they didn't do that. He did uh, do some, they did a lot of amateur stuff. Yeah. He did a lot of freestyle Greco Romans type of uh, roles and throws of suplexes. Yeah. He was very impressive with some of the throws and suplexes he was doing but they also you know turned some of that to working style like there was a uh uh a three set fireman carry uh thing that he did where it was kind of like almost like a whip like you know what i mean and like he's definitely giving it to him but like oi was like feeding into it and it was really cool looking and i was like man you know this is going back to the strong style roots of what new japan was even going as far back to like the 70s and 80s and you know mid 90s so uh, it's really cool. Plus, this Oleg Bolton guy, he looks like a quasi Brock Lesnar type. You yeah, know? I mean, he's huge, jacked. Um, yeah, he's going to be a big star if things go right for him. Like we were talking off air. He's kind of almost in that Kitamura route where they, they see, you know, dollar signs with this guy, and it seems like they're definitely going to try and, you know, fast track him. Yeah, so, I mean, it was very impressive, and I thought Oiwa did a, you know, I've already said on the air that I'm an Oiwa guy, so I mm-hmm. felt like he was the right person to get it. and plus he's bigger between the two of him and Fujita, so it made more sense, but, uh, and then they, down the stretch, like at the one and a half minute mark, um, Kevin Kelly was doing the call, and he was like, we're not going to see any pro wrestling here, and then we did, we got yeah, to see this guy. Rope running, yeah run ropes, do a couple universal spots, take some bumps, give a body slam. These are all basic things. These are things that I do when I'm in, you know, pro wrestling school and it's, um, but he looked better than I do. when I do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I thought that was really cool, really exciting. They went to a time limit draw and it was, again, it was just a showcase exhibition. And I thought it was uh, very, very interesting. And, you know, I, I think it was the right place to do it too. Cause it's like, it's at the Tokyo dome. So it's a big deal. And if it, if this does take off, we can always point back to it, but it's like on the undercard. It's in the dark portion and not a lot of people saw it. So it's, it's kind of cool. Oh, those Mercedes stands, they, they were up there. They were watching the pre-show. <laughs> <laughs> I have to think about who you're talking about. Like to me, like I still call her Sasha, but yeah, the Mercedes, she's the, Merce- the Monet stands. the Monet stands. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so then following that, we had the New Japan Rambo, which would be the qualifier for KOPW 2023. So New Japan Rambo, that's, uh, you know, New Japan's kind of version of the Royal Rumble match, except uh, now with KOPW involved, it would be the final four men that would um, advance on to the next night to crown the first provisional KOPW 2023 champion. And I, I got to say, this was probably uh, one of the, the weaker Rambos that New Japan's done since uh, we've been reviewing New Japan. You know, typically, kind of like a Royal Rumble, you would get surprise entrance. You would have some of, you know, some legends come back in, potentially outsiders. You know, last year we had uh, Shima representing Glate, and that kind of kicked off that relationship there and, and seeing Shima throughout the year and T-Hawk and, and El Lindemann. Uh, we didn't really get any of that here. I think we had about 19 guys um, here in the Rambo. And yeah, was, I just counted. It's 19 specifically. Yeah, and it's all it was all guys that were on the roster. Um, not a ton of people were brought in. Uh, I mean, TMDK, those guys were brought in. But for the most part, a lot of the guys were 
guys who are on your roster. Uh, and, and when you say brought in, you're not just talking about outsiders. You're talking about like some of their international talent. Like, right. There was no David Finley, um, no Chase Owens, Bad Luck Fale. Aussie Open. No Aussie Open, no Filthy Tom Lawler. Right. So uh, there's there quite a few people that are part of the roster, but that weren't brought in. And we talked about this off there, and my feeling was, it would have been cool for any of those individuals to be part of this, but it also didn't make a lot of sense for an undercard Rambo. That's so, you know, <laughs> low stakes for them to pay to bring in like say Robbie Eagles, who I'm sure Robbie would have been a good addition, but it's like, is it worth it for him and for them to, for him to have two minutes or three minutes in a Rambo? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So that was, a, that was the only thing, but this uh, to me went a little long, 30 minutes, 37 seconds. Uh, I think that when, when you do the final four system that they've been doing for this Rambo to lead to KOPW, it's not that exciting because you lose out on the most, you know, exciting part of a battle Royal, which it, when it comes down to the final four and then they start trying to dump and you get down to the final two. Right. All that goes away. And also the guys are confused too because you had people breaking up uh, pinfalls, submissions, and throwouts throughout the match where it's like, it's all right. Like if you can get, if you make it to the final four, you're safe. But you had people like breaking up pins when there were still like 10 guys in there. Yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's a wrestling trope. You know, uh, it reminds me of like, I don't know, like, um, uh, Greg Valentine versus uh, Ronnie Garvin in 1990 at SummerSlam there or Royal Rumble. They were in a submission match and they kept trying to pin each other. And it's yeah. like, they know they can't pin each other, <laughs> but they just keep doing it the whole match. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, it's, it, it's a reflex, blah, 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 whatever. But um, I also, I, here's the one thing I will say though. Um, I think one of the reasons that they didn't have a lot of surprise appearances from outsiders and things like that, or even bring in the international talent is because, Again, it's KOPW, but number two, they don't have a six-man gauntlet later on the show, and they didn't do two nights. So because there's limited spots, they basically had to award a lot of their bigger names by putting them in KOPW Rambo. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, we saw people that typically in the past, we've seen them have big matches at Wrestle Kingdom like Ishii or Taichi or Evil or ELP, all guys that got eliminated that you could have hypothetically seen being in the final four that just weren't. And it was like kind of very revealing. It's like, okay, like for better or for worse, this is where we're at on this evening. There's a lot of top stars in New Japan who this is their spot tonight. Yeah. Um, So it came down to uh, the final four. We had uh, Shingo Takagi, who was the final 2022 King of Wrestling champion, uh, he was the last entrant, so it was him, um, Sho, Great Okan, and Toro Yano as the final four that advanced to the next day to the uh, the four-way. Also, you mentioned Evil. Uh, this guy, he came in. <laughs> he was number three. He got eliminated first. Uh, you know, a lot of people were very quiet who thought that, you know, Evil being double champion <laughs> was an excellent idea. Well, I, I thought Evil... For me, I did a prediction contest. I thought he was going to be in the final four. I thought it was a good little spot for him, and he got eliminated. Some other big names, Jeff Cobb, Kenta. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. what I'm talking about, Rocky Romero. Like, there's some pretty big names here. I thought ELP was another guy that I'd predicted would be in the final four. Also didn't make the cut. Especially based off his rivalry he had the end of last year with Shingo and Who's Your Daddy and all that stuff. Right, and um, I was a little bit uh, – I didn't like that they – 
included Toriano in the final four again because it's like I thought we were mo- kind of moving away from that and it's mm-hmm. like he's going to be perennially like tied to this title. Um, the only other big thing from this that I that stood out to me was um, when um, Hanari came out, which by the way I really like his new gear. The, yeah, got some Muay Thai type shorts. Yeah, that's a better fit than because he had like the two different the trunks and then the tights and I and neither of those fit him that well. I think that this fits his character and his working style the best right now. But uh, they did a spot where he's on, uh, goes over the top. He's hanging onto the ropes and then ELP like is trying to get him out and he does the like nipple twister. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was really, really funny. But uh, yeah. other than that, I mean, I don't know. The, uh, well, one thing, Hikaleo kind of eliminated himself, but they didn't count it. I don't even know how Hick, uh, yeah, Hikaleo was like, he was the big monster in this match, yeah, but, but he, I don't, I don't, I don't even remember how he got eliminated. But at first, like he did like the, the Kevin Nash, like, Foot over the rope thing towards the beginning to chase somebody. I'm like, oh, he just eliminated himself. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't count it. <laughs> well, maybe it's a thing where it's like you have to be thrown. thrown yeah. Also, they did a spot where um, ELP was thrown out and he caught the guardrail a la like Kofi Kingston, Kofi, John Morrison. But we've seen in the past where they've done over the top elimination matches where he, he did a spot where uh, he was thrown over the top and his shoulders hit the ground. And his feet were up on the apron, and they they're like, nah. that, they're like, no, that's an elimination. <laughs> He's like, but my feet didn't touch. They're like, this is not WWE. <laughs> I was shocked that they let him do that because I thought if you hit the guardrail, that would be considered part of the the you know um, forbidden area. But yeah, they let they let him get back in the ring, and they got eliminated. So yeah, it was fine. Uh, then the main event of the pre-show was the Antonio Inoki Memorial Match. So we had Yuji Nagata, Satoshi Kojima, and Togi Makabe defeating Tatsumi Fujinami, Tiger Mask, and Minoru Suzuki. All these guys had, um, you know, some tribute. Um, Inoki, they had, some of them had shirts and the towels, and uh, the crowds. They were also giving out the red glow sticks to also um, pay tribute to Antonio Noki as well. I was a little disappointed by that because they made it seem like they the, the whole crowd was going to be a sea of red. I saw like literally one or two people with the red glow sticks, so I don't know if that wasn't that well coordinated or what what went down there. Yeah, but they did a really good job throughout the night incorporating the Anoki Bombay music mm-hmm. in all the media and the show opening and everything. And then, Oh, the set for Russell game this year was, was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. They've had some pretty cool sets, but over the past few years with, you know, the lower attendance, everything it's been, it hasn't been great. This year was one of the best sets they've had probably going back to like Wrestle Kingdom 10, Wrestle Kingdom nine. It's, it's been a while since they've had a really cool set like this one. And they had multi screens all over the, the, the stage. And, they would change those at various points, but mm. all throughout the night, you saw different um, pictures and, and moments from Anoki's history, which was really cool. Plus, the the top of the dome, um, like that banner that goes all the way around the, mm-hmm. the stadium, that was also like on display for to show the Wrestle Kingdom logo. So it just looked really great. But uh, these guys all came out with the red towels. And then they stunk up the joint. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. The uh, the Monet stands thought these guys are great. I saw some of them. A lot of Monet. Who are, who are these Monet stands you keep mentioning? Bro, I, I don't know. On any- Twitter, the people who have the Sasha profile pics. But, uh, but we have the same Twitter. You and I share a Twitter. Well, I don't dude, know. I, I have three Twitter accounts on my phone <laughs> between the Kiss account, Social Suplex, and my personal account. <laughs> Um, What's the most problematic of the accounts? The one that I'm on <laughs> now, yeah. 
uh, but yeah, either the you know the Monet stands who love Monet and they. So they, you have different curated like groups that you're uh, that are on your timelines based on which one you're in. Uh, sometimes different ones pop, different tweets pop up, but uh, people will share them too. And I see a lot of like they were like tweeting like, "Oh man, these old guys are good." Like, well, they are Rick, good. Rick Flair couldn't hang with these guys right now, and like they were like really impressed by. Well, most these. of them are young, a lot younger than Rick Flair is. <laughs> the only one that's the same generation is Fujinami. Yeah, but the, uh, but the Monet stands. They they were impressed with these guys. <laughs> Bro, you're gonna you're gonna make some new listeners angry by calling them Monet stands. Like, if you are a fan of Sasha Banks, I welcome you. I, I welcome them too. <laughs> I've, I've been welcoming them for like two or three weeks now. <laughs> oh man, but um, no, this was fine. It was fun, but I was a little nervous. Like, uh, we've seen Fujinami quite a few times over the past calendar year and um, there have been times, I mean, he's always looked old and kind of shaky, but this is maybe the roughest I think he's looked. Yeah. Um, and then, for whatever reason, the Tiger Mask was just not on last night. I, it also might have something to do with him altering the mask to Tiger Mask One. He had, yeah, it was something more reminiscent to Tiger Mask One's mask, and it was, and it also kind of looked like the anime, and it, it might have been more obstructive than what he's used to wrestling in. I don't know, but he botched quite a bit, and he botched the closing sequence where he's trying to go for a victory roll. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was bad. He yeah, he was up on Makabe's shoulders, didn't work out well, and then they were trying to salvage it. They couldn't, and. Makabe just pinned this man, <laughs> and they got on with it. But then uh, uh, Fujinami uh, cut a, a promo after the match and ended with Anoki's uh, Ich Ni Sanda, which we would hear uh, several times uh, throughout this weekend. Um, and so, yeah, good little closing moment there. And then they did have the the announcement about the movie that's going to be done about uh, the life of Antonio Noki as well. I hope it comes to AMC theaters because I have AMC a list, so I'll, I'll watch it there. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm down to watch it. It's not coming here. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, <laughs> now, one thing I wanted to point out during the press conference that was a little interesting was they, you know, we're talking to all these guys and they all had good things to say. Uh, Suzuki kind of buried Anoki a little bit. He's like, I, I barely know the guy. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, I was, he's like, I left this company like a, uh, less than a half year into my like debut. And he's like, I, I, I barely remember him. And he's like, are we going to go on and on and on about Anoki? He's like, <laughs> he is dead and we are living. <laughs> so that was like kind of wild. But um, the interesting thing, that's not what was interesting. They were asking all of them, like what working in the 50th anniversary of, like new Japan meant and like moving forward, what do they expect for new Japan and stuff? And the person that had the most interesting response was Satoshi Kojima where he was like, well, I've been, um, you know, working in Noah since about April of this year and I haven't been able to be here as often as I'd like. But the one thing that I am sure of, no matter what the future holds for Kojima, I'm going to do the best thing that I possibly can do for my future and let the world know how great Satoshi Kojima is go bread club. And I'm like, <laughs> he didn't talk about new Japan or his future in new Japan or any, like at all, which is like leading me to think like the, the smoke that people were wondering about, like, is, is he not long for the world here? Like, is he going, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's Noah GHC champion, uh, tag team champion right now. Yeah. He gets a successful defense against uh, Kenta and Marafuji. Uh, I believe that was last week on one of their year end shows. So, very interesting. I, I've got a feeling that as the roster's expanding and time is moving on, we are going to start seeing some of these dads go work either freelance or go work for outside companies or go away. 
Yeah, it's like we've been saying, especially now we're, we're in contract season. This is a time where a lot of people's contracts are either going to renew or not be renewed or people are going to be kind of making moves to where they're going to go next. And so, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see where a lot of guys like Satoshi Kojima go. I think it's going to be doing more Noah, more freelance, even Suzuki with uh, Suzuki kind of being disbanded, even though we did kind of see some uh, new things with him coming up at uh, New Year's, uh, New Year Dash, but we'll talk about that in a minute. I also think you probably have a different experience than me because I watched this uh, after the fact, so I'm trying to remain unspoiled. So I didn't see anyone's responses in real time. I only see like hours after the fact how people are responding. You were online as it was happening, so you were experiencing it with people that were probably experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. That's a different thing, yeah. So now let's uh, move into the the main card. Like you mentioned earlier, the show had a great opening video package, great tribute to um, Antonio Noki using his uh, music as well. That was a great little opening there, which uh, went into the first match. We had the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship match. The champions catch 2-2, Francisco Akira and TJP. They defeated the Super Junior Tag League winners from Chaos, Leo Rush, and Yo. Um, this was a uh, great way to open the show. This kind of set the pace for the whole show. And like we've been saying in all of the buildup to this, it was what you want from a Wrestle Kingdom opener with the, you know, the junior tag team. It kind of harkens back to the days where you had like you know the Young Bucks and Rapungi Vice and Forever Hooligans and Red Dragon. A lot of times it, it would either be four ways or two-on-two matches that would kick off the show and just start off with the right energy. This was a little bit different than some of those though. I do agree with you. This was a throwback to that sort of era, but you know, one of the things is like historically what I feel like people used to do is they used to throw all those junior tag teams to get, uh, like they would group them together in their minds and be like, they're all just high flyers. But you and I, we've been watching for a while. We know that those teams were all very stark different in, mm-hmm. in and contrasting in their, their styles of working and it's been kind of rare, if we're being truthful about it, that we see really athletic, high-flying, crazy tag teams go at it. Like, the last time I can really recall something like that, personally, is, like, maybe at the height of, like, Young Bucks versus Rapongi Vice. Yeah. It's been a while since we've had, like, super high-flying tag teams go out there in the Dome and just kill themselves. That's what these four guys were doing. I don't know who laid this match out, what the structure was, but they were balls to the wall. And this was very different from what we would have seen from like a forever hooligans or a red dragon Mm -hmm. or even the young bucks, because while the young bucks are high flyers of the, you know, the, they're the best. They're very structured in, in their style of match. (laughs) This was like very inventive, very creative and very all over the place. Like this is very different. I think I, you could tell me different, but uh, I I don't imagine that most of the junior tag league was like this match specifically. Well, I mean, th- this match was very similar to their Cork and Hall main event, but it was better than that, though. Okay, wow. Yeah, this was really awesome. And um, I loved the way it started with uh, Chaos, like, jumping um, catch 2-2 right from the get-go. Yeah, yo, hitting a big tope from the beginning. And then from there, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. Like, I don't even know how to... You're better at calling the action than I am. Yeah, like, I mean, there was so a, much stuff that happened. Uh, one big spot towards the beginning, you had um, Catch 2-2. They did their, their alley-oop to Leo Rush on the stage. Which that, uh, that stage seemed to be very sharp because people were getting cut up on that thing. Now, and, that was a thing. Um, 
I don't know if he got busted open hard way or if that was a blade job. Um, I'm, I think it was a blade job because the camera cut away and then he came back bloody. Yeah. And I was watching him during the press conference and maybe I'm wrong. I, I'm not going to say it for sure was a blade job, but I couldn't find like a discernible gash near his eye or anything. It mm-hmm. looked like it was probably in a place where he would have done a, a, a blade job, but either way, that spot was awesome, and that was playing off of what had happened previously between these teams on the stage in the previous matches. Yeah. So, really yeah, good did, storytelling. Yeah, did that. Leo Rush gets uh, busted open, which really made him like this uh, you know, fiery bear face, come from behind, underdog, kind of desperation for him and Yo. And so, from that point on, yeah, it was catch 2 too. That was kind of in control of the match, kind of beating down Yo. Um, until it can kind of make that hot tag to, to Leo Rush towards the end, and then it's a lot of great um, back and forth uh, reversals between these guys until um, we get to the end here where TJP, he reverses um, Yo's direct drive into an inside cradle, which he uh, pins Yo with that one, two, three, and catch two, two retains the titles, which I think a lot of people were surprised. I think people I were, was. Yeah, I definitely was. I think people were expecting, you know, Leo Rush, you know, just winning the junior tag league and the first time, you know, finally getting him integrated in, into Japan. People thought he, him and Yo were going to get the win here, but it was not the case. TJP pulled a quick one on, on Yo and catch 2-2. They retain, I think, I believe this is what, their, their fourth um, successful defense now, third or fourth defense now yeah, of these titles. They've got to be one of the most defendingest junior champion, tag team champions we've seen in a while. One of the things I liked about the story, too, is even though all four guys were incredible, there was so much pre pre-match buildup between um francesco akira and leo rush where akira had attacked him at road to tokyo dome and everything like that and so he was just really heated and couldn't put his uh, emotions aside and couldn't put his focus on winning the titles his um, emotions and his focus were completely on slapping Akira in the mouth, which is <laughs> yeah. what he was trying to do the whole yeah, match. The, the, pre, the pre-show or the press conference the day before, yeah, his whole thing was pretty much gay, you know, uh, gun towards Akira. He's like, TJP, get your boy under control. You better tell him to watch his mouth. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't play like, that. He's like, you disrespected me. You know, you attacked me. He's like, and I'm going to, like, mess you up. And then they they literally had the upper hand the chaos tag team did going down the stretch mm-hmm. and then he fought he he'd already vanquished akira and got him outside and he could have just left left him out there but he followed and mm-hmm. that opened that created an opening for um tjp to to sneak that victory and that was the only thing i i loved the match I'm not opposed to a roll-up finish. I think they're underdone in wrestling, but I was a little bit like, ah, I don't know if I like that finish. Yeah, but. I think I would have wanted a more definitive kind of finish. Um, but it also felt kind of WrestleMania-ish, you know? Like, we see, we've see, we seen matches in the past where, like, really great undercards, and they end on a roll-up, and it's like, all right, we're off to the races. Here we go. So, very good. I probably would have gone, like, four, four and a quarter-ish. Yeah, I went four stars um, flat on it. Yeah, really uh, great opener. So, yeah, catch 2-2. They retain titles. Also, uh, Yo, he he had black trunks here, black hair, uh, kind of matching uh, Leo Rutch's trunks here. So changing Was he doing those. something different prior? He had white. white. He was all white and he had blonde hair. Okay, yeah, yeah. I also, um, you know, I just couldn't help but laugh to myself that Yo was the, le- the weak link and got pinned. And uh, some of the news we'd heard about, like, Dragon Gate offers being made to him and stuff made me a little nervous. I was like, did they pin this man, like, <laughs> as a way out? But yeah. uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. That's not the case. But uh, last thing, Leo Rush, 
Uh, I've said some disparaging things in the past about, you know, but we've never called into question his actual talent and ability. And when he's a guy that I've always thought was of the utmost talent, when he puts it together, he's really Mm -hmm. amazing. And I thought that this was a prime example of how good he can be. And he was, and even bro, there was uh, when, with the blood, there was a point where I don't know what the move is, but he goes to hit that move off the bottom row. Oh yeah. He goes to the rush hour. Yeah. He, he went to go hit the rush hour and he did. They thought he bought, like, I think a lot of people thought he botched it. I think he missed it on, on purpose, purpose as he, part of the story the layout blood in the eyes. because he had blood in the eyes and mm-hmm. he was doing a really great job selling the, the injury as well. Um, I'm surprised they didn't use that injury as the, the reason why they lost the match, though, right? Yeah, that which, was which made me think maybe it was Hardaway because they weren't they weren't planning on it. Maybe it, um, it definitely could have been. I'm not I'm not discounting it at all. And yet his post match comments seems like you know he's going to be sticking around New Japan. He said you know a lot of people question whether or not I want this. I want to be look at my face, like look at me, like I could have abandoned my partner. Yo, I did not. I stuck it through. I'm here. Like so it definitely seems like we're potentially going to build up to a story with these guys finally beating Catch 2-2. Well, it'll be interesting to see um, like if Leo and him continue to team together or what the future holds for Leo Rush. I mean, I think that there's a lot of uh, singles opportunity for him in New Japan. Oh, definitely, yeah. Provided, you know, he stays on the straight and narrow and, you know, just kind of stays focused and dialed in. But if he's able to do that, uh, I mean, I'm all in on Leo Rush. Yeah. So then following that, we had the first ever defense of the IWGP Women's Championship. So the first champion, Kyrie, she defeated Tam Nakano. I believe it was five minutes and 47 seconds. So really quick uh, matchup here. I know we were kind of predicting that it would be a shorter match just due to the length of the card and kind of where it's positioned on the card. But I don't think we were expecting this Short of a matchup here, um, but it was for what the time that they had. I thought it was a very good for uh, the minutes that they had. Um, I thought you know Tam and Kyrie they had a lot of great striking um, towards the beginning here, a lot of good um, grappling. Um, but then it kind of escalated pretty quickly with Kyrie hitting her interceptor spear and then hitting the the spinning back fist, which I, I love Kyrie's uh, spinning back fist, and then. Uh, led to the the insane elbow one two three and uh, Kari put Tam away pretty quickly. Yeah, this match um, I felt really bad because um, again we're not you're probably more than I am. <laughs> well, definitely are, but um, I'm not a Joshi expert, especially when it comes to stardom. But I know the name Tam Nakano, and obviously I know Kyrie. And on paper, to me, this screams a pretty big match. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and given the fact that there hasn't been a women's match in the Tokyo Dome since 1995, which they did mess that up on commentary. They said 94, <laughs> but they forgot uh, that um, they forgot the 1995 weekly pro show where mm-hmm. they, they had several women's matches on that show or at least one. Um, but it's been a long time and you would have, I mean, considering like they spent all this time doing the historic crossover and establishing a new title and having a long tournament and everything like that and really building this up. I think that, and considering the the level of star that both of these women are in the sister product, which at this point right now is probably the number four promotion, men or women, across the world. I mean, 
if it's not, it's it's not very far off from a CMLL or a AAA at this point. Right, and they're well, they're definitely the number two in Japan now. They're number two in they're, Japan. They've surpassed Noah. They're of course ahead of all the other ones, Dragon Gate and all the other ones, and right. they're the, they're the dominant number two right now. Right. So, uh, given all the work they've done and all the goodwill and everything like that, I would have expected them to have more than six minutes. And like you said, I thought it, for what they were given. They went out there and they did really good. I will say two things that were a little bit detractions. Um, one, I thought Tam was really nervous. Yeah. And I thought that that caused a couple, I don't want to call them full on botches because they weren't noticeable, but there was a couple sloppy spots. Yeah, there was like one, early. Like one kick that didn't hit all the way. And there was a couple like kind of the grappling exchanges that were a little bit. A little bit loosey goosey. Yeah. And I feel like part of it again it's because they're in a new environment the pressure the lip they probably got their time cut you know there's a lot of nerves there's a lot of stuff going on there mm. but they went out there and the, the other thing i didn't like was they started busting out super finishers and oh stuff yeah like dude that. Tam, she hit the, the violent screwdriver um that like scott steiner like suplex into the pile driver thing that's that her was, super finisher that was dope it, it was it was incredible but it wasn't the right time in the context of any match for six minutes to to do that and then to have Kyrie kick out of it i do i don't want to begrudge them too much because i get what they were doing those two girls wanted to go out there and showcase the very best that they had to mm-hmm. offer and just get their shit in but it just, uh, it was just too short, and it's it's kind of, um, it's really egregious, super egregious on New Japan's part, and I feel like um, some of the things that I've said about my concerns about the treatment of a women's division in New Japan are not fully coming to fruition, but this is, it's, it's a shine, it's, it's a bit of a sign of that, like there's a red flag for sure, and ultimately, this was all set up to be a uh, to set the stage for Mercedes Vernado slash Sasha Banks slash Mercedes Monet and her debut. Yeah, essentially, yes, it's all just a kind of setup for that. So yeah, after the match, lights go out, and then Mercedes Monet comes out. Obviously, the former Sasha Banks comes to the ring. She's uh, wearing a robe that has um, that's adorned with a Japanese flag, um, and then she you know, I said Banks on the back. Yeah, it said Banks on the back. But it was in kanji, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so she comes out, and um, and she's cutting her promo, and she says that she is the, the CEO of the women's division. She um, she laid, she tried to do a, a new move. I'm not quite sure what so, so this is what it is. I've, I was told by people that know and that have seen her training for this move, uh, like... Uh, specifically some of the like Lucha videos that she's put out. Mm-hmm. It's like a gory special. Mm-hmm. And then when you flip the person around, you come around and you DDT them. Gotcha. Okay. And I actually don't know who messed the move up. I don't want to take blame away from her or Kyrie. Mm-hmm. I don't know who messed it up, but there was clearly a miscue or mistiming. It could have been both or one of them. Um, or, you know, put on your tinfoil hats, maybe Kyrie, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but they, they messed that up and that looked and what's what's interesting is just before that happened, they're doing the handshake. They're getting the photos. The crowd is, they're not going crazy, but they're, ooh. Well, yeah, they did ooh and ah when she came out. Right. She took the robe off. Which was, oh, she had gear on. But, oh, we're we getting an impromptu match. Like, is that why this match was so short? Because we're going to have another match. And she's going to, like, beat Kyrie real quick. I was, I, when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, she's going to compete. But then I saw that she was in those heels. Those long heels. And yeah. I was like, she's not wrestling in those heels. <laughs> and you know what? That might be a reason why they also botched it. That's another possibility. Mm-hmm. 
Um, hard to say, but then this promo that she, well, first that botch, once she hit that botch, it killed everything. Yeah, it was like, it was going great from there. Like the entrance was great. You know, the big entrance on the stage, you had you know, the big Mercedes Monet, you know, on the, on the, on the Tron, and then you know, the shaking hand and the crowd's kind of buzzing a little bit, ooing and awing. And then you, she, you know what else too? I'll just say, I don't think that having that six minute match helped things. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like. I feel like they probably thought that giving them a little consolation match to set the stage for her to come out, that she would upstage it. And I don't think that that translates well to wrestling fans. They, they're they there because they want the, the, the match that was being advertised. They probably did want to see that and expected it to go at least 10 minutes right <laughs> minimum it went 10 minutes like they did really good stuff with just barely six minutes like if they had four they, more they minutes, did some great stuff it, it would have been awesome right but they probably realistically should have been given 15 minutes yeah definitely they should have gone out there and been given time i i understand the show was very long but you could have found the time and cut it from somewhere probably that main event probably from somewhere <laughs> and um they should have got time and then if the match was really good and really hard fought and received well and then Kyrie looks like a big star because they didn't do Kyrie any favors yeah not at all then Sasha comes out plus I don't know I mean I maybe I should look at a Google trend search but you know obviously Japanese fans they know about western stars but it's not like they're in the forefront it's not like they're recognized or you know universally beloved right um i i did do some google searching this past week about um not her specifically but some of some other stars like kenny omega shinsuke nakamura aj styles people that have been in japan and been big stars and have mm-hmm. left and the thing i found was the moment they leave or even Kyrie, the moment they leave they fall out of the google trends in japan very stark i mean we're talking like nosedive they they're not really in the zeitgeist so uh plus wwe's distribution they used to have a better tv deal in japan i believe on saturday mornings or something like that and they lost that and it's not Hmm. quite as visible so it's you know the the question of how well will she she's a big star here but how much of a star is she going to be in japan it's like she's starting over right and and due to covid i don't think wwe's been doing a ton of tours over there in the last couple of years, either. No, no, and even when they did, I mean, they would do like sumo hall shows, but it's right. not. They would do like ten, twelve thousand, which is good, right? But, but it's it, like the WWE Smarks. It's uh, people that Japan. like WWE, it's the Japan FDS, right? <laughs> right, and you know, wrestling fandom in Japan in Japan is just very segmented, anyways. Between these mm-hmm. different, there's not as much crossover as you'd imagine. It's not like people are like, oh, I'm gonna go watch Tokyo Joshi Pro and then I'm going to go watch Dragon Gate and then I'm going to go watch New Japan and then I'm going to go watch Big Japan. Like, it's not like that. Right. Each company kind of has their camp of fans and it kind of stays that way for the most part. Right. And that's the same thing with WWE. The people that like WWE probably do watch other wrestling, but it's not as much crossover as you (laughs) think there would be. Um, One thing I will say, uh, as far as the reception too, we have seen Western stars come to Japan to very light or mild receptions initially, and then they get over. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody Rhodes is a great example. Yeah, Cody Rhodes got crickets, crickets <laughs> when he came into the Tokyo Dome uh, to face Juice Robinson, and he became a big, really well received star. Mox did get somewhat of response, but it was not like the kind of response he gets now. now. Yeah, it took a while for that. Well, it took at least one match <laughs> for them, but even um before that match, like when the video reveal was that it was Mox, uh, people, you know, it's is whatever. Um, 
but the promo she cut was bad. Yeah. Really, <laughs> really bad. Yeah, um, it kind of sounded like she was slurring or speaking slowly, which Leo Rush was doing this too with his promos. He was cutting the I am here with my friend Yo. And you know, I, you know what that tells me? I know that these superstars or wrestlers or whatever or talents, I know that they're kind of keenly or acutely aware of Japan and they probably I don't want to say they're ignorant, like they don't know anything, because they, they're definitely fans, especially like her and Leo Rush. They mm-hmm. they're familiar. But they don't watch it like you and I, and they don't know what gets over in Japan. And mm-hmm. especially, they probably don't watch, the, because there's not as many promos, they don't watch the promos. They watch the wrestling, and then they don't know how to get over. And they don't realize, like, most of the time, the the Western stars who get over, the the fans aren't responding specifically to what they say. They're, they're responding to how they it's say it. it. Mm-hmm. The passion and the inflection. And if they hear a couple buzzwords in there that relate to to them then like oh you know mm-hmm. she should have gone out there and cut an impassioned promo and said Kyrie, iwgp you know blah 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 pay-per-view uh, fight or whatever right. all in her normal cadence and tone yeah yeah her regular but here's the thing too sasha banks is not a good promo <laughs> yeah uh, i will i think sasha banks is really good at a lot of things and i've never thought she was like a bad promo but let's put it in perspective she's never well, I can't say never because she probably has, but like for the majority of her on-screen career, she's been cutting scripted promos the entire right. time. Yeah, so she she has little to no experience on a world stage doing her own promos, especially in a foreign place, and she doesn't probably know what gets over with the audience and. You know, she was like slowing it down and it's like, dude, they don't understand you. You don't understand. You think you're slowing it down as probably, I mean, you could say it's offensive in some regards, yeah. but it's probably out of like, if I slow it down, they'll understand, it can be translated better, Better, but it's like, you don't have a translator. (laughs) They're not understanding it in real time. They're not going to understand it until they actually see the, the translations. And and the Westerners are are the ones who are going to care more about your promo. So just speak normally. (laughs) Right. She should have gone out there and, and like been in full character and cut like a full in character promo. And, uh, but at the same time she needs to work on it. It's, it's a big deal, especially for her, someone who is so character driven, Mm -hmm. you need to have good promos and yeah, (laughs) like you're saying, this this is a whole new world for her. I mean, for a while now she's been in that WWE system, NXT, the main roster, like you mentioned promos written for them, um, kind of more hands-on with producers and stuff like that. And we know in new Japan, you're kind of given a little bit more free reign when it comes to what you can say in the promos and how things are laid out. Um, so yeah, she's definitely going to have to get used to that. But I, I, even though I don't think like, I've, I can't think of too many times where I've been like, Sasha's a great, pro- like that was a great Sasha promo. I've always thought she was a good talker. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, but this felt very contrived. Like I am the CEO of new Japan and stardom. And it like, it just felt really like, what are we doing? What are you saying? And there's no heat between her and Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Also, she like came in full heel and I'm not sure if she, I know that she's better as a heel and she's probably been wanting to play heel for a while, but I don't know if this was the right time to break out your heeldom just yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. This was bad. I mean, there's, there's no if, ands or buts about it. The, the, the positives, um, I thought she looked great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gear was awesome. The, the gear, the, the hair, look, yeah. everything. I thought the music was great, mm-hmm. but everything else was bad. The move was bad. The promo was bad. 
and it didn't get over and it it got crickets mm. after the botch and it never really recovered she didn't even get like very she didn't even get like the complimentary like <laughs> hand claps right yeah and um i don't think that it and also i think Kyrie is kind of on shaky ground since her return too and it's been up and down and so she's kind of in a rebuilding phase too so it's gonna be interesting to see what happens um because they they made an announcement that they're yeah. going to be doing pay-per-view at uh, in February, yeah. So she, yeah, she challenged Kyrie for Battle in the Valley, uh, the San Jose Civic Center. Uh, I believe that's February eighteenth. So that's going to be on Fight TV on pay per view. Yeah, so she challenged her for that. New Japan has made it official. That match is set: Kyrie versus Mercedes Monet, uh, February for the IWGP Women's Championship. I mean, I obviously still want to see that match. So I'm, I, I'm not like saying this was a full failure like it's not gonna work because i think that it's a learning experience this was definitely a flop but Mm -hmm. um there's a lot to build on and a lot to grow and to learn from and i i I wasn't like oh my god she's cooked like i didn't feel like that at all. right no yeah it's just a a flat debut and i mean there's room to grow from here and at the end of the day it's still sasha banks it's still the single greatest woman's talent in the history of North America. Mm-hmm. She didn't forget to wrestle <laughs> right. in this time off and it, and her and Kyrie are probably going to have a really awesome match. Most likely. Yeah. Although again, I don't know what Mercedes uh, Monet looks like in a non WWE laid out match. You know what I mean? This right. is going to be very interesting to see that that's a whole new world for her too. Yeah. And also very interesting that her first match is going to be in America uh, and not, and not in Japan. Japan, which we do know that the women's title was mainly created to be something to help for the New Japan of America shows. Because, you know, in the West, they know that wrestling shows should have women on it. So they're kind of trying to build that up for the, for the Western audience. But I still thought we would get more of her in Japan. I would also say if I was if I was talking directly to her, I would tell her, go watch like. Zack Saber Jr., Jay White, Will Ospreay, go and watch their promos, post match promos, and then backstage promos, just to kind of get a feel for what the audience responds to. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. um, I, I, oh, we we both also listened to her post match promo, and it was better. It was more natural than the kind of robotic one she did in the ring, but it still. I don't think it's sunk in for her. Like she, she does a promo, she does her spiel. I'm the CEO and I'm here and I'm going to make money and I'm going on a world tour. She's like, and I'm going to make the yen. I'm going to raise the value of the yen. That was a good line. She's Mm -hmm. like, and I'm going to go make the pesos. And then I think she was talking about, she says she's going to earn rubies, but I think she meant rubles, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I don't, but then she's like, and then I'm going to get all the gold that's out there. And I'm not stopping in just one place. I'm going around the world. That's cool. And then she's like, that being said, who has questions? And then and none of them. And no one. one has any questions. And then it's like, she's like, really? She's like, I'm the, and then she felt like, it felt like I could feel like, you know, it was, yeah. it was awkward. Yeah. And she's like, I'm, I'm the conversation. I'm the talk of the town. And I came here to grace you with my presence. You guys can't even ask me a question. And it's like, they don't <laughs> understand you. Yeah. They, you, like, it'd be one thing if she was saying all this stuff and then there was a translator next to her doing the translation so she could interact with the media. But it's like, do you not understand that you are in Japan and they don't understand what you're saying? Right. Like when Jay White cut his promo, he wasn't like speaking, um, you know, in 
you know, hoping that they would ask, ask him questions. He was just cutting his full English promo. Nobody asked him questions. Luckily, you know, friend of the show, Issa, was um, back there doing media and asked her a question of, like, what Joshi she would want to face, and that's when she dropped the you know the, the AZM. That was another. That was a damning. <laughs> that was a damning one because that's one of those things that only someone who like kind of knows Joshi, but also doesn't know Joshi, would say because it's clear, her name's Suzumi, mm-hmm. and I have done this bit on this show and to f- other people where I pretend like I don't know her name is Suzumi, and I, I'm like I love that AZM, <laughs> and like I do it in a funny way because yeah. I know it's like one of those things where it's like you're telling on yourself when you say it. But she did it for real. <laughs> <laughs> well, even even Meltzer does it still sometimes. Meltzer, you no, know, that's another one where I'm like, when Meltzer does it, he is telling. And you know what? She probably listens to Meltzer, and he right. says it, and then she probably says it. Right. So, yeah, um, her future reference, it's Azumi. <laughs> right. Whether you see it spelled out or it's spelled A-Z-M, it's pronounced Azumi. And also, she was like, they're like, who do you want? She was like, I want to wrestle Manami Toyota. Aja Kong. Bring him out of retirement. She's like, bring her out of retirement. I want to put her back in retirement. And then she's like, and then Azumi. I get the feeling she hasn't seen that. Bro, just based on that answer, it reminds me when Hulk Hogan went to back to Japan in 94 and he's like, Chono and Muto <laughs> and Inoki. And it's like, dude, those are the only people you know. <laughs> he's uh, like, he's like, I just beat Muto. I'll probably wrestle Chono and Inoki. And it's like, you don't know anyone else in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Well, uh, let's move on to the next matchup. We have the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions on the line. Seven stars. (laughs) Yeah, the champions, uh, FTR, Dax Harwood, and Cash Wheeler, they defended the titles against the 2022 World Tag League winners, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi of Bishimon. And uh, like I tweeted out at the the end of the World Tag League, I was hoping for uh, a Shoto to be laid out on FTR Bald and for Yoshihashi to pin this man square in the middle in the Tokyo Dome. And that's exactly uh, what we got here at the conclusion of this match. Uh, Bishamon uh, hitting the Shoto on Dax, Yoshihashi getting the pin, and back-to-back Bishamon, they they won the World Tag League uh, last year and beat Dangerous Techers in the dorm for titles, and, you know, running it back again this year, they defeated FTR. They they won the World Tag League and defeated FTR, winning the tag team titles second year in a row. Yeah, so, I mean, um, you were dead spot 100% on the money when it came to your prediction of how this match was going to... Um, you know, basically wind up. But here's the thing about that. I, I know it is funny to be like, haha, FTR Dax, you got pinned by Yoshihashi. But like, to me, I don't see that as like an actual indictment. I think it's like a funny thing to say. But like, right. let's be real here. Like, Bishamon has already proven themselves for uh, at over a year now, but even greater than that, to be one of the best, if not the best, you know, domestic tag team in Japan. And, um, you know, Yoshihashi, we're far be- beyond the days of him just being like a nameless geek or, you know. Right. He's not the bag of socks anymore. And he, I tw- he's not that guy. I, yeah, I tweeted out during the show. I'm like, if you still think Yoshihashi sucks, it's it's you haven't watched New Japan in several years. In years. Yeah. You don't know what you're talking about. Yoshihashi's in. And you know what? He'll never be a top, top star. There's definitely some things to, you know, uh, criticize, but. When it comes to between the ring and his accomplishments, he's a really great talent. And 
uh, FTR obviously have just recently gone on a string of uh, losses, and that's part of the story. They were the you know world champion in three different companies, and they dropped the ROH belts. They went to Mexico, dropped the Triple A titles. Now they came to Japan. I thought they were going to hold on to these belts, but unfortunately for them, they did not. They dropped the belt, and you were right. Uh, Yoshihashi was the one that picked up the pinfall over Dax Harwood. So you know the LOLs, the lols, but um, this match was awesome yeah yeah it was great it was really great i thought it was just as good and probably maybe a smidge better than the junior tag team title match on the uh show opener and for say what you will about dax harwood and his you know online presence and uh, social media and everything (laughs) like that the one thing we will never criticize, or at least we've never criticized in the show, is their ability to go between the ring or between the ropes in the ring. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they are, quite frankly, one of the greatest tag teams I've ever seen. And for whatever reason, um, they've proven themselves very adept, more so, I would say, than most outside Gaijin tag teams at understanding how to work the Japanese style. They're like coming into new Japan and fitting in a lot better just in a few short matches than they did in triple or in AEW mm-hmm. when they first joined, there was like a big learning curve in AEW. It took them a while to like find their footing. I, they clearly like study and watch a lot of tape and understand the, the structure and layout and the style. And they, I actually think I would say, I would go as far as to say, I like them better in New Japan than I do in in AEW. Uh, I just think that their style of work fits better here. And they look like megastars when they're working. Now, I don't expect to see much more of them in the Cerulean Blue, if I'm being totally honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, their Their entire contract status seems to be very much in question going forward. And who knows what's going on with that. Um I'm sure people listening to FTR bald on his podcast could tell you, I'm I'm not going to listen to it, but um, I I get the feeling that this was probably their send off. And if they do come back, maybe we'll get another Aussie open match, but that's Mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. But I thought that they looked great. I loved their gear. I loved their their jackets. Yeah. They, and then Bishamon just looked like a top end tag team. Like, um, this match was I, I I do always wonder how these teams, especially when they have such limited uh, experience together, are able to overcome the um, the language barrier mm-hmm. in the ring. But it didn't seem to affect one thing here at all. These guys went out there and told a great story, very snug, very hard hitting, very fast paced. This is this was a great match. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, towards the end there, you, know, you had Goto reversing uh, the big reg, which uh, hitting Dax with uh, Ushigoroshi that led uh, Yoshihashi to make a comeback. But then FTR cut off Yoshihashi with the big rig, uh, but then uh, they kicked out of that. So that was a great near fall there because, you know, that's their, their finish. Um, we had a, a suplex to the floor. Um, Dax doing the um, oh, ca- cash. That, that suplex to the floor spot, I've seen that a million times. That might be the best version of it that I've ever seen. The, the, the Davy Richards, uh, Eddie Edwards spot, yeah. Well, I mean, I I call that the Davy Boy Smith and Mark Rocco spot. <laughs> <laughs> or not Davy, uh, the, the Dynamite Kid Mark Rocco spot, but yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he did that, uh, cast did that uh, to the outside, and um, then they had the they were trying for uh, multiple pile drivers toward the end there, couldn't connect. Um, Goto was able to tag out to uh, Yoshihashi, um, and then... Came down to the closing stretch there uh, where they got cash out the ring 
and they hit the Shoto and Yoshihashi pinned Dax. And so, yeah, awesome matchup. I'm like four and a quarter yeah. on it. I'm about the same, too. This was awesome. This was great classic tag team wrestling. Also, um, shout out to Cash Wheeler, a guy who had a lot of travel delays and issues and literally um, arrived in Japan 30 minutes before the pre-show went on the air. So like yeah, that was <laughs> had crazy. almost no time in, <laughs> in the country. Uh, yeah, it was pretty, pretty wild. And I, I thought that they did a really good post-show um, promo as well, FTR. And if, if they do want to come back and, and work in Japan, I've never been opposed to it at all. Like I would love to see these guys work a tag league or be in the, com- in the company and actually be a part of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. So uh, also congratulations, Bishamon, two time two years in a row. Yeah, back to back, back yeah. to back. Uh, so next matchup, we had the NJPW World TV Championship match, the, the finals of the tournament to crown the first ever NJPW World TV Champion. So Zach Saber Jr. he defeated the son of Strong Style Ren Narita in a great matchup here to become the first ever NJPW World TV champion, winning his first singles title in New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, this was uh, a match that I know you and I are both really big fans of both these guys, and so I think we were both pretty hyped, and we haven't talked at all about the show, so I don't know, but like for me, I was very hyped, very excited about this match, and uh, the prospects, and and just not even just because I'm in, into both of the the guys a lot. I'm into guys. Uh, <laughs> not not just because I'm into into them as like characters or whatever, but also because um how talented they are at wrestling this style and how great their tournament matches were leading up to this match. And the only thing that I'm glad it happened here at Wrestle Kingdom, but it feels a little bit like a disservice that like it was months ago mm-hmm. when the tournament was like in the forefront and, and everything. And we, we had a really long layoff between historic cross. Well, actually when no, that was a battle autumn. Yeah. At the end of battle autumn, that was in early November. So it took like two months before we got this payoff. So, um, and that kind of makes whoever loses that defeat sting just that bit much more. Cause they had to wait so long to, to get to this place. And then, um, you know, 15 minutes uh, as like a, semi main event or main event on a road to show doesn't that's fine there's not that much pressure and so those guys go out there they have their 15 minute match and that that actually feels like a lengthy amount of time but when you get a 15 minute time limit in the tokyo dome like fourth or fifth from the top the pressure is on for them to wrap that match up and i know Mm -hmm. a lot of people thought that this match was probably going to go close to the 15 minute limit because that's how most of zach's matches have gone but this was considerably shorter they just went barely over 10 minutes and it was balls to the wall insane action and what i love the most about it two things is one it was the story of japanese la dojo shibataism strong style versus european uk techers british strong style and how those two things mesh together and which one's more superior and then the sudden nature of the match just ending in the middle of a scramble exchange with them doing pins and submissions and then suddenly like, bam. Mm-hmm. This, bro, it, it caught me so much off guard that I, that was the first time I audibly 
responded to anything I was watching and I was like, oh shit. Like, I, was like, I was like, oh my God. I was like, it's over. And like that, that's the same kind of response I give when I'm watching UFC and someone gets caught. And I'm like, oh my God. He, he like, I couldn't believe it. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. And yeah, just, you know, this is what Zack Sabre was saying, you know, trying to bring like strong style back and really making this TV title about, you know, Antonio Noki's, you know, vision of strong style. And that's what these guys did out here. A lot of great, um, grappling and exchanges and reversals. Uh, Narita hit a, um, a great ex- exploder suplex on Zack Sabre at one point. And, you know, as Zack has beefed up, he's been also been doing a lot more striking um, as well. So, you know, there was the spot there where they were exchanging uh, kicks to the back, kind of showing their uh, fighting spirit. And, yeah, this was just a, a really great matchup. And I love the the finish kind of coming out of nowhere, which is which I wish they would have done a little bit more in the actual tournament, like you mentioned, in the tournament, we got a lot of the matches kind of going like 14.50 or 14.30 and getting close to the time limit and guys just kind of hitting their finish and it being over. But the fact that it's, this went, you know, just a little shy under 10 minutes and Zach caught him. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't definitive. Like he, he hit the, you know, the, the Zach driver or he um, did one of his, you know, wacky, you know, hurrah, this is the last whatever, you know, one of his other submissions like. They're exchanging, and he just catches them with a, with an arm bar, which we've seen now. You know, the, the arm bar has kind of been bastardized in professional wrestling, where guys will get it and they'll lay there in the middle of the ring for a while, and they'll. they'll, they'll it's always a, a little bit of a gripe for me, and it's like, do they not know how to do it right, or like it's just it sometimes it's just too long in an arm bar, and it's like how long before he breaks his arm? Right, like if you have it applied correctly, and you're, you're there that long, the guy's arm should be broken, or the guy should be tapping out immediately. Well, you know, the, the trick is, Jeremy, I don't know if you know this, in jiu-jitsu, it's keeping the thumb facing the sky. If, the th- if, the, if you've got the person armbar and they're, it's fully implemented and their thumb is facing the sky, you will, that's, the, that's where there's the least amount of tension. In wrestling, you'll usually see the, the palm facing up and there's almost no tension. You actually can't, I mean, you could in theory, but it's really hard to enact a straight armbar with someone's palm facing up like a, a clenched fist, mm. you got to turn it over to the thumb. And I don't know if, if you're listening at home and you do this, like if you put your arm out straight and you turn the thumb up, you're like, oh, you'll feel the difference. You're like, oh, I'd be <laughs> screwed if that happened. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So, yeah, Zach caught him with that and big win for Zach. First NJPW World TV champion. And Zach came, he had uh, the bleach blonde hair. Uh, just leaving Suzuki Goon that we talked about last week. And after the match, we had TMDK coming down, Mad Mikey Nichols and Hysterical Shane Hayes. They came out and offered Zack Sabre Jr. a spot in TMDK. He grabs a shirt, puts it on. They sit on the rings up uh, apron and do the traditional TMDK post. And we have the first official kind of shakeup here from Suzuki Goon with Zack uh, being calling himself the, the front man. Of TMDK. Yeah, I like this because Zach has felt for a long time like he was ready for that uh, catapult to being like the leader of a group. And for those of you, if you're listening, you're not really um, familiar. Typically in, in Japan, especially New Japan, with it being such a faction heavy uh, company, being the leader of a group means that you're at the forefront of being. Um, in the running for, for world titles and, and major accolades. And it's really hard to be like underneath another leader and also 
win gold in that company. It's happened. Uh, we've even seen Zach win tournaments while mm-hmm. in Suzuki Goon, but he's never been the man. And this is going to be a kind of a, a, a platform to where he can achieve that. I did watch the post match where they all met up and it was, it's hard for me to get it. I know traditionally team DK have been heels and during their time in like new Japan, it's kind of been depending like on who they're facing. Like I feel like they've mainly been heels with Jonah and bad dude Tito. Jonah and bad dude Tito are like heels, but Mikey Nick or like the TMDK tag team have kind of felt like here and there or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But we've even seen like bad dude Tito go up against, bigger, more established heels. He faced Kenta a few weeks ago. Yeah, and he's kind of played like quasi-babyface, so they're kind of like in this in-between spot. I don't know if they're going to be heels with the Zack at the helm. It's hard to tell just now. I think that they might be heel-leaning tweeners because they were very jovial at the post-match press conference, and Zack really didn't cut a heel promo. In fact, he he cut a really gracious... Um, cordial promo on Ren Narita talking about how basically he, he, he was talking about how he, he is the, like, he's like, you're the son of strong style, but I'm the embodiment of strong style. He's mm-hmm. like, I am 100% George Michael vegan approved <laughs> British techers, <laughs> which is strong style. And he was like, but he's like, this is a kid I've been impressed with since the first time I ever was in the ring with him. He's going places. At some point, he's probably going to come back and and bloody me and beat me up and take the title, but not right now. Mm -hmm. And they just joked around a lot, him and uh, Shane Hayes and Mikey Nichols. And like I I know that historically they are a heel faction, but right now they don't feel like they're about to be a top heel team. They feel like something else. So it's going to be interesting to see what way they go altogether. Yeah, and a lot of fans were kind of worried about what was going to happen with the group with uh, Jonah leaving and going back to WWE. So now we're seeing, you know, Zach, he, he's a front man. He's now the leader of the group. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not Bad Dude Tito is still a part of the, the faction going into this year. And we also had a new member on New Year's Dash as well, which we'll get to uh, quickly here. Um, so after this matchup, we had the never open weight championship matchup and Tamatonga. He defeated Carl Anderson to become the new never open weight champion. Nine minutes, 36 seconds. And the the big thing here was um, at the beginning of the match, they did the face off, the big bill, the crowd is going ooh and on, ah, everything like that. And then Ken, Ken Anderson, Carl Anderson, <laughs> Mr. Kennedy, Kennedy, <laughs> Carl takes the never title and smacks Tama Tonga in the head with it. And it's like, oh my God, like, <laughs> and you know, if this was the attitude era, that'd be it. Like they'd be taken to the hospital. Cause that used to be the ultimate weapon shot is the, mm-hmm. the belt shot. But um, yeah, he got the upper hand there and then. These guys just started brawling on the outside. Yeah, he uh, dropped them with the Bernard uh, burner driver on the ramp. Yep. Did that. A bunch of other stuff. Threw him into the barricade. Was just brutalizing him. And that was all before the match even started. So Mm -hmm. uh, he made sure to kind of like stack the deck in his favor and kind of put uh, Tamatonga at a deficit going into the the match. But this was... um, uh, the they didn't go out there and exchange holds. They didn't go out there and, and work a technical style. They brawled. They were all over the place. And it was very quasi-violent. And I thought it was the fitting 
match style and match time that needed to to be in place for the type of rivalry and feud that these guys have had going so far. Yeah, I was wanting not to like this match just based off of what we saw, what the last two Anderson defenses. Well, well, you're not alone, Jeremy. This (laughs) match currently has a 5.72 on cage match. That's That's too low. It's not accurate. It's not even kind of accurate. They're yeah. saying it's a sub three-star match. No. That's that's not true. No, the match was very good. It was it, very good. It was better than I expected, you know, with um, Anderson versus Tanahashi. That was a horrible matchup. Anderson versus Hikaleo. Uh, that was a horrible matchup. And just this whole Anderson never title run has just been a disaster. But I'll, I'll take it a step further. Carl hasn't had a single good New Japan match since they returned, not including all the tag matches right, with the, him the, and Gallows. The tag team turbulence, all that was horrible. Like everything they've done has not been good. Uh, but this match was very good. You know, Carl, you know, says the bright lights is where he performs. And finally, yeah, you know, under the Tokyo Dome, he did here. Had a very good matchup here, you know. Kept the T-shirt on though. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, he wore the uh, the OC or the club, whatever they call themselves in WWE. Oh, I didn't even notice what was on the shirt. It was yeah. it was a club shirt. Yeah, the WWE club shirt. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's there representing the club. Yes, um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought this match was very good. Like you were mentioning, kind of that hot start before the match officially started with the brawling on the outside and then getting back in the ring and Tama, you know, being an underdog babyface, having a fight from underneath mm-hmm. Carl's arm hit that, the top rope reverse neck breaker and was just really kind of putting the pressure, uh, to, uh, Tama Tonga. Oh, he did a neck breaker on the, um, what's it called on the guardrail outside. Oh, yeah, that, looked, was pretty nice. that looked great. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Anderson was in control. Um, a lot of the matchup there, Tama was able to come back a little bit, hits the uh, superior flow, Splash, Anderson was able to kick out of that. Um, then you had a couple of gun stun reversals and a sequence there. That sequence down the stretch where they just kept reversing gun stuns and then getting out of strikes and stuff was really high-level stuff. That was like not far off from like a top-end 2017-2016 AJ Styles or Okada finishing sequence type stuff. Like it was really good. Yeah. Um, and Tang, uh, Tam was able to hit a second rope Gun stun, which then led into what was supposed to be one more gun stun, <laughs> but I'm not quite sure what happened. <laughs> I think and I could be wrong here, but I personally, if you just want my honest opinion, mm-hmm. I think that we saw a little bit of brother, 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 brother yeah, some brother, brother, you know, uh, some carny I, I think chicanery. It was a, I think it was a rib. I no, I maybe it was a rib, but like I think that this was Carl Anderson. Being able to say, I cleanly put this guy over. I did business. I laid down. I was a professional, quote unquote, but also he didn't hit him with a real gun stun. So it kind of buried and made him, it made Tamatonga look a little bit bad right. and made Carl Anderson getting pinned. I mean, I could see Hulk Hogan doing this. Like he, <laughs> he took the move, but he took it bad. So then when he got pinned, it, it didn't look like he really right. got beat. And even the crowd, you know, the crowd was excited, wanted to like get excited and cheer for it. Even the crowd was kind of like, oh. And here's the other thing too. He's getting pinned and he's looking up and his eyes are wide open and he's right by the ropes. I think personally, if if this was a legit, honest botch, he should have grabbed the ropes, let's say, let's sold up, took in a clean one and laid down in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. So, I mean, you can't fault it too much because it was an, it was an, it was questionable enough to where you're like, well, he did do the job. And he did lose to this guy, and he did come to, to to work. He put his working boots on, but there is just a little, little, little bit of uh, some carnyism. Yeah, there's at the end some there. uh, talking shopism. 
Yeah, he, was he's like, I'm I'm not coming here to do a jizz off. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not a clean one at least. <laughs> um, yeah, so that that kind of happened, and but it, I thought I I just really was. Um, I thought this match was a great pace, and I thought it was a great story, and I really enjoyed it a lot, and I thought it was the best we've seen Carl. I don't know if Carl can wrestle the way he used to wrestle. I think that this match kind of proves to me and based what we've seen from him in WWE. That he can't. Yeah. He probably can't do all the stuff he used to be able to do right now, at least physically. But Mm. he, he, he definitely went out there and like, he did do a favor for Tama Tonga and like put on his working boots. So, yeah. So, yeah. So Tama is the new never open weight champion. Second time holding that championship. Oh, last thing. So then at the post show, they like, we're hugging. <laughs> yeah, and I didn't like... I mean, like, okay, I get it. He's, he used to be his mentor. They got all this Bull Club history. You know, the podcastism. There's too much to go over. You know, right, yeah, yeah. people that are into it are really into the lore. I, I don't think we are on this show necessarily. No. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of when guys are... The one thing that was good was they, they kept all this kayfabe. For better or for worse, they kept so much kayfabe for years going into this match and I do understand at the end of like say an MMA fight where guys have history and respect each other they like hug and like congratulate each other and maybe there is something to that here but at the post show like Tamatonga is doing his his promo and then Carl Anderson shows up and then he's like Carl I love you bro <laughs> and Carl's like Carl's like you know and then like they're doing the little wink wink thing he's like he's like I know I messed up but uh we made some money together didn't we and it, you know what they did make money together cuz you know what they kind of worked Gato into like putting them into this position together and it's like I don't know like the at the end of watching that promo like I'm glad Tama got put over and got his time to shine after 12 years, singles title in the dome. I mean, the guy won the concourse. look how great he looks, but mm-hmm. I don't like these guys giving me a wink, wink at the end, letting me know it was all fake all along, you know? Right. Yeah. It's like, this was not just a, you know, rivalry or mentor versus student, which also that was part of the story. This whole thing was, G.O.D. got kicked out of Bullet Club. Yeah. These guys have been feuding. You know, there's been a blood feud with um, Jay White and uh, Good Brothers. These guys have been getting beat down on Impact, on New Japan, on Strong. And just so we can, just so everyone knows why I'm keeping it a buck, like, I didn't like when Jericho and Omega did this after their match. Yeah, the podcast. I didn't like when they cut that podcast. And this was maybe not as egregious as that, but I, you know, I just, I don't like when guys do this sort of thing. You, you're doing a program. You guys want to do the I love you, dude, and blah, blah, Maybe wait a couple weeks and send a message on Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> right. like, it, it just it kind of insulted my intelligence a little bit. Yeah. So uh, next up, we had uh, Kiji Muto's last NJPW match. So the team of Kiji Muto, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and the Roughneck, Shota Umino, they defeated Los Ingro Bernables, De Hapon of Tetsuya Naito, Sonata and Bushi. Yeah, uh, this match was a match. <laughs> you know, it, it was a spectacle match, and I mean, you can say bad things about it if you want to, but I mean, if if you have the the proper context and understanding, like it's Wrestle Kingdom, and it's not uh, contrary to popular belief, it's not just all about star ratings. It's not all just about um, high end match quality. Although we got a lot of that in Spades. It's also a wrestle king. It's also a WrestleMania esque type environment where stars of yesteryear and and 
spectacles can take place in moments and moments, you know, and that's what this was. And it was cool to see a Muto Tanahashi and, and Umino team together. And they're sort of that evolution is a mystery, <laughs> you know, you got the, the past, the future and the present, but then because it's also a send off for Muto and he has history with Tanahashi. And then he has this history um, with Sonata and Bushi, both of those guys, starting off in the all Japan dojo when he was in charge, when he was the president, he's the guy that kind of gave them their breaks early on. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of, and, and you know, Sonata's is like a mentee of his. Um, and then even though him and Naito, they've had a match at wrestle kingdom in the past at wrestle kingdom six. And they, they don't have, they didn't have any interactions hardly at all in this match. Muto was the inspiration for Naito even wanting to become a wrestler. When he was growing up, his favorite wrestler was Muto. Mm-hmm. When he saw him win in, in the Dome, that inspired him to go and take up wrestling school. And now he's appearing in the final match of Muto's career. And he talked about that at the post-show uh, press conference about how like it's his destiny to like share the stage with Muto. So there's kind of like a lot of cool things in play there. Yeah, and you know, like you said, it's, this match was more about, you know, obviously giving Muto his last moment for New Japan and also putting over... Uh, Shota Umino I think that Honestly I think that was Like the, the main key Actually for this matchup Umino got a lot of uh, Time to shine here And you know If this had been Any other promotion They, they might have You know Had Muto Get the pin And really kind of Spotlight Muto But it was really about here New Japan um, Highlighting the future And kind of giving people what What's going to be coming You know Playing the seeds For rivalries to come in uh, Shota Umino Clearly being here With Tanahashi and Muto Is kind of a, a Stamp of approval of New Japan saying this guy is is next up. This is guys we're we're gonna put all um you know stock into. our stonks <laughs> yeah um so yeah Muto look uh, his gear was his awesome great. his entrance gear with, with the fur um jacket was dope yeah I mean I think we're still in a building phase when it comes to Shoto Mino like there it's still a little bit of an experiment. Mm-hmm. But so far, he's passing every single test that they put in front of him, and he looks fantastic. And this was a, a big statement as to the investment level the company has in him. Um, there was, oh, the other thing too is like um, him and Naito, those two guys have really been having seriously heated exchanges all, even before this match, all throughout the road to Tokyo Dome. And then the next night, they. Uh, we're across from each other at New Year Dash. And for whatever reason, like him and Naito are just, they have these really heated exchanges. Dude, they have great chemistry. Yeah. Uh, they've started building this from uh, the road to Tokyo Dome tour. And clearly they're they're going to, they're building to a singles match, whether it happens um, a new beginning or whenever, whenever it happens. But I'm looking forward to that match. A couple other things with the match. Uh, we got to see Sonata do a Muto uh, moonsault on Kijimuto, which mm-hmm. was pretty cool. Uh, there was a point where Muto went up to give his moonsault <laughs> and Tanahashi had to stop him. He was like, like, nah, nah brother. Nah, nah. <laughs> He's like, that's not for you, baby. Um, and then ultimately we wound up with a situation where, you know, Shoto Mino picks up the win with the Death Rider on Bushi, like a lot of people predicted, and um, we're off to the races. Uh, last thing, I mean, I've we mentioned this in the preview, but I think that with this being one of the first in many, many years matches or Tokyo Domes where both Tetsu Naito and more importantly Hiroshi Tanahashi don't have any singles matches now granted they were given a big spotlight and stage sharing the ring with Muto and his send-off and this is probably going to be a 
somewhat memorable and historic match. I think that we're going to start seeing more of this. Maybe not so much for Naito right away, mm-hmm. but definitely Tanahashi. But definitely for Tanahashi, like he's not in a prominent position in the company as far as like his uh, standing in the Big Four, or Big Six, or whatever. Naito's not that far off either, personally, or at least in my opinion. Yeah. One last thing: uh, this man Muto couldn't stick around to to put over Shoto Umino. Umino got got the pinfall. He, he found out he wasn't getting the pinfall, and he was salty about yeah, it. Yeah, he had the boo boo face, and he he immediately he. He doesn't really walk fast most of the time, but this man, he he blazed out that that side ramp and was out of there. Didn't no, he? no, no. Tanahashi um, caught what he was trying to do and was like, "That's not happening." And he, he he raced down, right? And he was like, "We're sharing the spotlight with you, bro." Like, yeah, the, what Tanahashi did, yeah, walking the ramp with him, but yeah, he didn't go back and like, but Shooter did too. Yeah, but he should have like afterwards. He should have raised Shooter's hand and given him like the recognition, and they should have all bowed and everything. He didn't do all that because he, he was mad, and it, this was all very telling too during the post show press conference when it was those three, where like um, Muto just didn't have much to say. Like he didn't put over New Japan. He, did, you know what I mean? Like right, didn't give like a big like you know I'm so happy with what's happening with New Japan. He kept bringing up that it was a Tokyo Dome show. He's mm-hmm. like, I'm glad that this is one of my last Tokyo Dome shows, you know, a month out before my retirement. And I'm glad. To, and they, like the people asking questions were like, what are some of your memories of like wrestling in New Japan? You know, it's like your birthplace or whatever. And he was like, I remember losing to Tanahashi in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I remember the losses more than the wins. But like everything uh, that he said was about himself and. They're asking him about, they're like, what are your impressions of Umino? And he's like, I know that we don't know each other, but uh, he did say that he thought he had promise and, and stuff like that. But like they, he wasn't going to put him over. Like the media had to like force it out. Right. Of well, it's like Tanahashi said in those interviews, like Muto is about Muto. Everything's about Muto. Like he's going to continue to put himself over and make every moment about him, even at this stage in his career. Yeah. So it was what it was. It was fine. It was fun. And it, it happened. Yeah. Um, oh, and the, the other thing, too, and I w- was going to bring this up, and I don't think a lot of people noticed, Naito and Muto never touched a single time in the match. Now, um, I know that there's the whole story about, like, Muto being Naito's, like, idol growing up, but, like, what I don't think a lot of people remember is, like, in at Wrestle Kingdom 6, they did the Genius versus Genius match. Mm-hmm. That was in 2011, so this is, like, several years after he'd already put over Tanahashi, and I think he, if I recall, I think he wrestled Goto at Wrestle Kingdom 5 and beat and beat Goto, Muto did. So then they put him in there with Naito, who's like this rising star. He's on the, the way up. He's like the next ace, you know, apparent. And they do genius versus genius. And like Muto won't do business. And Muto <laughs> won't put him over. And he beats Muto. And Muto beats him in the only singles match they ever had with one another. And I think it's very telling that the layout of the match, Naito and Muto, the two, they're the two biggest stars from their respective sides, or at least for this match, they didn't even touch. Mm-hmm. The only interaction they had was when um, um, Naito was in the <laughs> ring and he walked up and he and he did the the Lij fist raise, and like Muto kind of like mocked him and did like a little like kind of like a winking off sort of thing yeah. from the apron. That's it. And the only reason I noticed it wasn't like the conspiracy theorist to me. I noticed because I thought. With them being the two biggest stars, we were going to get that oh moment, right? Especially you get a twenty six thousand cheering crowd. Like you would think you would build that kind of big pop, even if they just ran the ropes for a minute or two. You know what I mean? I thought they'd like do a couple blows, run the ropes, and that was it. They didn't even do that. Yeah. 
also notable, Naito wearing a t-shirt. <laughs> Naito wore a t-shirt. T-shirt Naito in the dome. In the dome. Yeah, he wore a t-shirt the whole time. Yeah. That's, that's true too, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. Uh, so next up, we have the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship match. The ticking time bomb, Hiromu Takahashi, captures the title once again, defeating the current champ, uh, Taiji Shimori, El Dorado, and Master Wato in a four-way matchup. I liked this match. I didn't love this match, and that's probably not surprising. Um, I know we we probably don't have li- that many listeners that were listening at the genesis of the show, but in the early days of the show, we covered a Wrestle Kingdom where they did a four-way junior match, and people loved it, and I didn't, and I was like the low man on it, and mm-hmm. I didn't, and I think this match was not as good as that one specifically. So I'm definitely lower on it than most people, but it. It was still very good, and it started to really pick up down the tail end stretch. And um, even though this is one of the only matches that I personally predicted correctly, I, I predicted Hiromu winning, um, which was a tough call because they could have gone any of the four ways and it would have mm-hmm. been fine. They really got me believing in Watto. Not not from a standpoint of like where I think Watto will be a great champion. I think that, that the jury's still out on that. Mm-hmm. But the way they laid the match out, it laid it out in a way to where I felt like they were making Watto and they were going to belt him up. And I was like, why not just do it? Like, here's your chance. And he really looked great in the match, the way they laid it out. And then at the very, very tail end, Hiromu just beats him. And I'm like, "Ah, I don't know this. I know they like to sometimes book chases and they like to book um, disappointments, but this one felt like a flat disappointment. Like not something I, I don't want to see, Wato chase Hiromu or whatever the case might be down the road. I, I maybe there is money to be made in, in his quest for the title. There probably is, but mm-hmm. this just felt like the right time to do it. Yeah, especially I mean the, the whole way Wato even like got into this matchup. You know, clearly this was supposed to be Kushida's spot, but then Kushida had the hand, foot, and mouth disease, couldn't um, you know finish up the rivalry with Ishimori. So you know, Wato kind of backslid into this match and this rivalry. But then he had the pin over Ishimori um, during the fall, and then just this whole buildup that they had the um, the incredible tag match where he looked good in that match as well, and they did a really good job of building him up uh, throughout this rivalry. They mentioned on commentary this was the one match that probably had the most in ring build because these guys have all been facing off of each other all throughout the fall and in different situations. And um, yeah, I thought Wato looked really good here. I thought. Wato, he was in there with three former champions, three guys that have killed it before in the Tokyo Dome, and he mm. three stars, and he looked like a star. He looked like he fit in. Yeah, he, he didn't look out of place at all. Yeah, he didn't look out of place. All, all stuff he was hitting was clean. Like you mentioned, that closing stretch there, where he's, he's just hitting everybody with the Rosita Mente, which is like that, that backslide driver kind of thing. I like that. I love that move, and he's just hitting it on everybody and getting these. And that was the move he beat um, Ishimori with to get the upset in the non-title match and so he's hitting everybody with the Rosita Mente over and over again and he's getting so close to uh, getting a win and then he, you know he tries to hit it on Hiromu Hiromu versus hits a time bomb too like you said and just pins him it's like man like you built that whole closing stretch he was cleaning house he was hitting his move on everybody and it was in there with Hiromu that would have been a great moment I think especially with this whole youth movement to hey hey it's I get it's a junior title but hey we've seen that title be hot potato you could have gave him a one, two-month run, see how it worked out, and then flip, flip the belt back. There's a lot of things changing in New Japan, obviously, right now, with them kind of re-emerging um, 
on the world stage as being like, they've always been a player. They haven't gone away, but like re-entering to having major shows with cheering, the travel restrictions being gone, clap crowds be- diminishing and becoming more of a thing of the past. And them bringing in top stars that are driving, you know, eyes and interest to the product. And then also like there's the dissolution of groups. Looks like some stars are on their way out. Other stars are on their way in. There's a lot of things changing. And in the midst of all that, this was a show where generally speaking, not entirely, but generally they seem to go with very safe booking decisions. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look top to bottom, I mean, you've got like, they went with Bishamon, which is like a, a homegrown team. They went with uh, Catch Two Two, which is like, you know, they're they're newer, but like they didn't go with the outsider and Leo Rush. Mm-hmm. You know, they they had Zach, who's the more established veteran. And then here, this is another example where they had the stalwart of the division win the title, as opposed to testing things out with a, a young, fresh guy in Watto. So at the same time. It has been like two years, even though he's been winning super juniors and stuff and, and still been a top player. It's been about two years since um, Hiromu won the title. I think this is his fifth title Yeah, fifth win. time, yeah. So, you know, uh, for some people who haven't tuned in in a while, they're like, Hiromu again? <laughs> but if, if you were paying attention, he hasn't been champion in a long time. This has really been Desperado's division for several years now. Uh, yeah, yeah, and also to you know, even the whole story this year where he wins Super Juniors again. I think we all thought, oh, he's he's, he's going to beat Ishimori at New Japan Road, and probably should have. Yeah, he should have, but yeah, he lost there, and so you know, the rest of the year was yeah, this whole story of him trying to get back in the hunt, get back in the chase, trying to get back, you know, Mister Belt, you know, Belt San <laughs> back. Yeah, Belt San. Um, so, and last couple of things I'll say, I didn't like this junior match as much as the junior tag, but it wasn't far off. They were pretty close. I mean, this was still really good. I don't want to make it sound like I'm a total Debbie Downer. Very, very good action. Everybody yeah. shined. This was like the, the moves, baby. Like they were just doing moves. I felt like the first match was the moves, baby. I felt like this one was not as dynamic as but, it should have. I felt like there was like more, I think, of a story in between the tag match moves where here, like I feel like at the beginning, they were just doing stuff. Yeah. Like they were just like dive, dive, (laughs) just kind of doing stuff. Right. Yeah. That's kind of what I got from it too. It was, it was good. It was exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, I liked the second half of the match much better once their, a narrative actually got shaped. Yeah. But, um, in the post match, Hiromu did a pretty lengthy, uh, post show comments and he had some interesting things to say. One thing he talked about was he said, um, and I think he's kind of setting up what, what I think is about to be, could be wrong. I think we're about to see a historic run with Hiromu mm. because, you know, people have been wondering for a long time, what's next for Hiromu? You know, he, we've already, we've done the, he gets injured. He comes back, he chases, he wins, you know, the tournament, he wins the belt. Then he disappears. You know, we've seen them do that many times and he's pretty much done almost everything there is to do in the junior division. He brought up that even though he's won the belt five times, there is a defense record that's never even been approached by any modern junior. I think Prince Devitt said it, and it's like 11 defenses. Mm. And he was like, I think I'm going to go for that. Mm. And he was like, um, they started asking him about like ranking. They were like talking about Watto not belonging with the top three. And he was like, I really don't like that terminology, top three, because you're implying, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but he's like, he, he complained that they're, 
implying that only those three guys in the in the division are the top juniors and the rest of them are like afterthoughts and he was like and you're shaping a narrative to the viewer that other juniors in, in the division don't deserve title shots or don't deserve opportunities and he's like there are no bottom juniors in new japan if you're in new japan and you're a junior you're the best juniors in the world mm-hmm. and i think he's saying that because he's about to run through all of them and he doesn't want it to sound like he's beating geeks he's beating geeks and you know what that that probably is a good that's a good philosophy anyways you shouldn't have i mean if it's a division there shouldn't be this idea that there's a hierarchy within the division when it's already, it already gets so much limited time as it is. You know what I mean? Right. Exactly. Um, and they, they, they asked him about like, what are his goals? Does he want to be the number one? And he was like, there is no number one. He's like, there's no rankings. He was like, (laughs) he was like, I want to be the champion and I want to beat everybody and defend this belt as long as I can. And he was like, and I've lost the title four times before, but I'm not going to lose it ever again. This time (laughs) I'm going to be the forever champion. (laughs) And he did bring up Dragon Lee, or they brought up Dragon Lee, and he he mentioned how, like, the door's kind of closed right now on them because he went to WWE, but he's like, but you never know. Sometimes cracks happen. He was like, Muto just wrestled Shinsuke Nakamura, and who knows? Maybe if, maybe if he makes a big enough name for himself over there, and he's like, and I can be very patient. He's like, if something changes, me and Dragon Lee will meet once again someday, so... Some interesting stuff there from Hiromu, but I I think that they're about to have him go through a lengthy title defense um, period. Yeah, and we also got the great, hey, Mr. Triple H, my name is Hiromu Takahashi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah, that was in, that was basically being like, let me and Dragon Lee wrestle. I think people will take that out of context. He's right. Like, he's like, hey, Mr. Triple H, are you watching? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and one last thing about this match We did get a 96-97 uh, Nitro moment Where like there's an angle happening in the back In the middle oh, yeah, of this yeah, junior yeah. heavyweight match And it was uh, the Congo faction From Pro Wrestling Noah Kano leading his boys in the, the back During the, the, the press conference to uh, During LIJ's presser um, Kind of confronting Naito, uh, Bushi, and Sonata And challenging those guys Yeah, so I don't really know all the guys in Congo I think basically it still looks like Um Kano and uh, Katsuhiko Nakajima are like the top two guys, and then there's a bunch of geeks in yeah. Congo. <laughs> but they're they're still angry about getting you know blown out last year at day three of Wrestle Kingdom. So I don't know. Well, I guess we'll find out more. But it looks like they're setting up either a series of singles matches or a series of tag matches. But um, you know, they've already kind of. Uh, I mean, they didn't make the announcement here, but they're going to be doing another joint New Japan Noah show, and it's probably gonna. Uh, heavily focus on LIJ versus Congo. Yeah. So then after that, we move to the semi main event, or excuse me, main main event number one. Also, it was funny because like, um, like Shingo was in the back with them when this was going on. And he was like, how did you guys get in the building? Yeah. He's like, this isn't Cork and hall. Yeah, yeah. This is the Tokyo. Like, Dome. Are y'all lost? All y'all confused? Lost? You guys don't work in the Tokyo dome. You, you, you guys work in Cork and hall. He's like, you, you should go down there. You shouldn't go to the man. And then he was like, he was like, and then Congo was like bringing up or, uh, Kano was bringing up like how they, wanted revenge and he's like we don't remember you that was a year ago who remembers people you beat a year ago yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah so uh time now to talk about main event number one of the evening for the iwgp united states heavyweight championship 
the cleaner, the best belt machine, the belt collector, Kenny Omega. He defeats Will Ospreay in one of the greatest professional wrestling matches I have ever seen. Uh, there's, there's a lot of expectations, a lot of hype in this matchup, and it, it was just absolutely incredible. Uh, I mean, one of the easiest five stars I've, I've ever given this thing. It's do it, the ratings on Cage Match on Grapple are, are some of the highest I've ever seen consistently, and th- this thing is just getting rave reviews from everybody. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, this was just phenomenal. I, I guess before we even dive into the receptions and everything like that and the perceptions of the match, like let's just talk about it. It, it in and of what it, in and of itself what it was. So I mean, like the the introductions, yes, and the ring walks were top notch. I mean, I saw a lot of people talking about how great. Nakamura's ring walk was and uh, where were they Sumo Hall yeah for uh, the Noah show I think that this might rival his entrance on that evening both of these guys um, uh, Kenny's was so great and they didn't get the devil uh, what is it called devil devil's cry? Devil, devil cry yeah we devil's got, cry. We got a uh, Sephiroth which is what his uh, character the one with angels based off of from Final Fantasy 7 did you notice that they also didn't um, do the copyright strike for both uh, Makabe and um, Fujinami. Fujinami's music. And I don't know if that was on accident or if they like because it's Anoki's tribute that they just ponied up and paid for the music. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they did. But yeah, so yeah, we got to see yeah, the Sephiroth. Sephiroth. Dun, 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 yeah, they, dun, dun, they, they, they use the Sephiroth music. And for those of you that probably are, or if you're not aware, he's like the big bad hidden boss in Final Fantasy VII. Which is what the one winged angel like motif is based off of, right? And so the awesome the screen where he he lifts his left hand like the one that wing was so cool. Showed up on the, the Tron the screen, and then he does like a slow like turn into the camera. And bro, the crowd was dead silent, and the and the audio was like the commentators were silent, like just to hear like the wind like rushing and like the the everything on the stage like it just looks so cool. And then Kenny comes out and like his facials, and it was just so. Epic. The, it was the, the weave was weaving. His hair is horrendous, bro. <laughs> horrendous. Really bad. But other than that, everything else looked really, really yeah, cool. Yeah, the, the gear was incredible. The entrance, everything looked great. And then uh Will Ospreay, you know, he teased that, you know, maybe the, the assassin should come back. So initially you had the score of his current music, but then that faded out, and then it said know the, the aerial assassin and then you got the elevated uh, elevate me to the sky whoa yeah the elevated music came on and i didn't even notice at first but i was like oh oh shit like, <laughs> <laughs> also before even uh, so we, we kind of and then he came out with um all the members that were there from the United Empire and like they didn't get involved in the match, but like they were there like to second him and give him their support. And so just seeing like all those men like in their like suits and everything and kind of like dressed to the nines and then like except Cobb. Except for Cobb. But then like <laughs> um Osprey's just like geared up and like it just was so epic. It was so awesome. Um the before the night before this though, they had the press conference. We haven't even touched on the press uh, conference. Yeah, yeah. One thing I did not like, and I'm gonna and this is a Something I'm I'm very critical on this year. They I every year I look forward to the pre-show Wrestle Kingdom press conference, and normally they have 
um, one of two things. They either have translators for both the English and the Japanese live during the show so that they're actually, you know, um, interpreting like the Japanese into English. And they, we do know that they had an interpreter there who could have done that. And they mm -hmm. didn't, they didn't do that. The other thing too, is they usually put up a version of the show with subtitles for the Japanese, um, domestic stars. They didn't do that. So I, personally haven't watched that pre-show and at this point i'm not going to because the event already happened well i i just skipped through all japanese speakers like i, I watched no i'm not going to do that because i want to hear them and I, mm -hmm. if i don't if i can't understand what they're i'm a completionist if i can't hear what they're saying i'm just not going to watch it mm -hmm. so i missed out on almost the entire press conference because what's the point if, if i can't understand most of the guys what they're saying mm -hmm. but luckily for this particular match this was like the most hyped um press conference like segment probably like on social media and everyone was talking about it and these guys including don Callis, went out there and had uh, a press conference like showdown for the ages both of them cut incredible promos kenny omega, it was a total production kenny omega is mm -hmm. like uh you know cutting his uh, promo in japanese to show that like will can't speak japanese and he needs to uh have a translator to even understand what Kenny's saying and <laughs> yeah. everything. And then Don Callis, you know, God cried the day Kenny Omega left, left Japan. Japan. <laughs> but then Will, like, Will cut this really, I mean, he almost came to blows with Kenny and, like, cut this impassioned promo talking about every single struggle that they had to go through over the pandemic period and him, you know, what he went through and what it took to wrestle and, and how the fans showed up and everything with the clap crowds and the travel restrictions and the war in Ukraine and it, him losing people over in the UK, like close friends that he had to watch their funerals from a screen because he couldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And then for Kenny to belittle what he has done during this time and when all Kenny had to do is drive like an hour, an hour and a half to work, <laughs> you know, that was some really compelling stuff. Like, mm -hmm. and the whole time I was watching, I was like, oh man, this is getting me because we have said on this show from the very on, like before the match was ever announced, probably six months before it was even going to happen. We said this match is going to happen. And when it does, Kenny Omega is going to win. For X, Y, and Z reasons, here's the business reasons. This is what is going to take place. We've called it all along mm -hmm. for a very long time. And when I saw Will cutting this incredible promo, not only did it make me like have sympathy for him and get on his side, but it also like kind of broke my heart a little bit as a fan because I'm like, damn, he's gonna lose tomorrow. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, I already knew too, especially when he's you know throwing back to the assassin like. He's he's regressing. That's a regression. Like the assassin was a junior heavyweight, right? Um, which I did like. The, they did tie in him knocking out Abushi, mm -hmm. um, the never open weight title match. Um, and, and Kenny won't acknowledge it. Like Kenny's pretending that the real reasons he's in Japan are to come and rescue everything and save blah blah blah. And he's like playing this altruistic, like virtuous thing. But the, but like, um. Will is bringing up that like the real ulterior motives is you have beef with me because I knocked out your best friend in the opening match of your final night in Japan and you guys didn't did, didn't get to say goodbye and have the big send off of the golden lovers mm -hmm. and you're holding it against me 
And Kenny won't acknowledge it. Like Kenny's like looking away. He won't look him in the eye when he right, says this yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's really good. <laughs> yeah, dude. They add that extra layer. Yeah, that that was great. But yeah, they definitely made Will a sympathetic. Like you, you want to see you know Will get some comeuppance and just kind of you know heal Kenny. You know, arrogant prick Kenny is such. He's he's, he's such a prick, and you mm-hmm. you want to see him get as great as he is. And I, much as I love him, like he gets so arrogant, so cocky. Like man, I want to see somebody just shut him up. Um, and, and Don's doing such a great job also pointing out how like you are probably the only person that's in the sport today that has an edge on Kenny athletic performance wise. So like they're making sure to make it seem like he's not just a slouch. Like this guy is right. It was like, if you were born in like any other era, like if Kenny Omega wasn't born, like you would be essentially, you would be the Kenny Omega of today. It's very similar to what Paul Heyman did with the first time Brock faced Roman. He was like, in any other era, you'd be the guy. Unfortunately, Brock Lesnar is the champion right now. Right, like, it's yeah. the same thing. It's yeah. very, very. It, that's always going to play with me. I, I love that sort of analogy. And um, then they went out there, and I didn't know. You know, here's what I did expect, Jeremy. I expected them to go out there and have either an Okada slash Omega. Not specifically that, but that sort of high work rate style of match. Or like a Shingo will style match, something that only those two guys at that level could do. And to my surprise, and I'm taking nothing away from them. That's not what they did. Now they did go out there and they did work at the highest of high levels of in-ring work and athleticism, but they told such a violent story. Mm-hmm. I did not expect this violence. Dude. I did expe- I did not expect the nature and the layout of this match and it it really resonated with me in a different way. I was blown away at what we saw between these two guys. Kenny was murdering this man. Merciless. Like he was living up to the whole Sephiroth thing, the big like final boss like Will would try stuff and Kenny would just shut him down. It's the way Kenny was brutalizing him mm-hmm. between you know the, the table spot, the double stomp, and then he's bashing Will's head through the through the table. Well, the the, the thing too is like um, Don said, like he's like you know you're you're maybe the best athlete today. He's like, but there was a time where there was a lot of great athletes in the NBA, but there's only one Michael Jordan. And what mm-hmm. makes him different? There's uh, this killer edge, or there's this championship mentality, and you just don't have that. And he's like Kenny Omega. He's like you're maybe the best wrestler alive today, but. Kenny is the wrestling God and he's like, he's going to prove it to you and show you. And like, that's the story they told where it's like, can like they told a story where it's like, Will's been in there with some of the best Okada, you know, uh, you can Shingo, a bunch of other names you can name, mm-hmm. but he's never faced a guy like Kenny Omega who like went out there and just brutalized him. And the one thing that changed the course of the match more so than anything else was Kenny removed the corner pad mm-hmm. and used that exposed corner pad later in the match to set up a reversal off the top rope where he DDT'd him into the exposed buckle and busted him wide Dude, open. That spot was so nuts. You know what? The blade job afterwards, everyone's talking about the blade job and the blade job was great. And obviously it was a blade job because right. the whole entire United Empire covered him, which I thought was great. I'm I, I'm not against blade jobs. I'm against exposing them and they need to be covered up and where you can't see. And they did a great job where it's like, that move that move was so violent. The guy taking a uh, you know a header onto the turnbuckle that it made all the sense in the world why his whole group would would cover over him to make sure he's okay. Mm-hmm. All the while he's doing the Blading, blade job, yeah. And then he comes up and he's a mess, and I'm like, oh, this is so good. And then and then from there, 
Kenny just got to work and did all the things you're talking about. That that part where he bashed his head through the table. Like um it's funny because Megan's like they gimmicked that table. I was like, no, that they is, did that strong that, style strong, table. <laughs> she's like, she's like, look at the particle board inside. I was like, no, it's it is it is like a particle board, but it's a honeycomb structure inside of it that gives it an added layer of strength. I was like, he had to pre-break it so that when he bashed his head into it, it would actually break. I was like, that's a real table. That's not gimmicked at mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Um, and then there was another spot where like Will was on the top and he knocked Will down and Will fell head first into the exposed uh, metal again. Oh, Will's selling during this match. Like incredible. It was incredible. And you know what? Also, I want to go back. I forgot to make, make mention of this. I just, it, uh, another person who did great selling Tamatanga in his match. He's been watching macho man matches. I guarantee you <laughs> everything. He, he even did like the, the twirl of his finger and stuff. But like, there is a lot of like macho man selling in that match. But uh, Will's selling in this match was next level. And it's so funny for a guy that's been criticized his whole career as being this overseller or underseller at different periods. Mm-hmm. He's, he's found his right perfect niche. And like he was struggling getting up the ropes. He was, he was bumbling. It was Terry Funk esque. Mm-hmm. It was that level of like, this is life and death. And this guy is losing blood and he's bumbling all over the place. And it started to get uncomfortable with, um, once the V triggers started coming. Oh my <laughs> And they just kept coming. And then, uh, bro, and then Kenny Omega gets on this guy in the mount position, and he starts giving him better. Palm strikes. His palm strikes are better than most shoot stylists, quote-unquote wrestlers that are out there today. Ba ba ba, And he's just banging on this dude. And then he starts throwing the fists. And um, I, oh, you know what? I do want to say there, I do have a detraction. Hmm. I did not like Kevin Kelly and Don Callis's riffing on each other during the first half of the match Mm. i thought it was too heavy now they're my one of my all-time favorite like duos but they were paying they were going back and forth and snipping at each other too much the match should have been at the forefront and they were kind of missing out on some of that a little bit and i didn't i didn't like that in fact it so much so that i might go and rewatch the match in japanese to experience it that way Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, overall, I thought they were fine. But yeah, during the beginning part, there was a lot of like, you know, insulting, oh, get a new suit, Don. They, and, they went yeah. too long with that. Yeah. But um, Don, in the second half, Don did what Don does best. And right. Just adds incredible background, you know, noise to Kenny Omega matches in the dome. And it was real. And then the one part where like, um, he got up off the desk and they're like, what are you doing, Don? And <laughs> yeah, because the United Empire was like covering Will. And so, yeah, he was like arguing with them. And they're jaw jacking. That was so, that added a lot. And then after like Kenny just started brutalizing Will with V triggers, it got to a point where I was like, Will might not be getting a comeback. <laughs> <laughs> because, because the time for him to cut off Kenny and go into his comebacks, like it just kept being further and further away from when you'd mm-hmm. expect it. And I was like, Oh my God, they might, they might just do like a stoppage stoppage and like, ha- and that's the story. Yeah. And then they had Sugabayashi come up and Sugabayashi never gets involved in matches. Um, I saw people, bro, Jeremy, I saw people online that were like probably supermarks. I don't know who they are, but they were like new Japan was reckless with, with uh, Will Ospreay's health. They're like, this guy couldn't answer the bell. He was bleeding everywhere. <laughs> he couldn't get up for the one. Two. Remember when, um, what did Kenny do on the outside to him to where he almost got counted out? Uh, what was that? It was, I'm trying to remember now. 
I don't know, but he, yeah, he did some kind of crazy spot to that. Yeah, where it was like the 18 count. He broke the count by doing the Terminator dive. He did the Terminator dive, yeah. And then, um, not to be undone, there was the, por- the part earlier in the match where Will put Kenny in the position for the, he doesn't call it the same word, but the chicken andos kicks. Mm-hmm. And he just lit him up with those kicks. And like Kenny was blocking, like doing a cross arm break, like he was George Foreman, but it didn't matter. Like, they were coming through. And um, I'm watching this with my girlfriend and she's like, uh, she's like, those aren't landing. I was like, no, they're landing. And she's like, yeah, but he's not really hitting him. And I was like, no, he's really hitting him. And she's like, yeah, but I mean like they don't hurt. And I was like, how can you safely take kicks into the face where the the foot is actually hitting your face. I mean, sure. Is he putting all of his, is he trying to kill him or knock him out? Like you wouldn't a real like karate Taekwondo competition or something. No, but is he not, is he just landing the softest blows ever? No. Like he was kicking him in the face and we know that that's really what happened because guess what? Kenny comes up from that spot and his eye is black and closing and Mm -hmm. a hematoma develops. It was nasty. They they were super stiff in this match. Yeah, dude. The the one V trigger where Osprey is he's like leaning in the corner. Oh, and, his, and the a, back of his head. Yeah, and Akira's like, move will, move will, move will. And then Kenny just runs in, bow, V trigger. Bro, this is how much this match got me. There was a lot of, I've never okay. Obviously, I'm a fan of Will Osprey. I like him. I've always praised him. Big fan of him and his matches. Always get excited when he's wrestling. But I've never like I wouldn't say I love Will Ospreay. I might love his performances and his matches, but I've never cared about his character mm-hmm. the way that I do like say Tanahashi or Ishii or like Kota Ibushi. But during this match, he was getting beat up so bad. I was like, move Will. Like, <laughs> even before that spot, I was like, I was like, you're in. Okay. I was like, you're, you're, you're hanging on the ropes. You don't know where he is. You hear some stomps. Get the fuck out of the way. Right. Like, you know what's coming. Yeah. And I was like, move, Will, move. <laughs> and like my girlfriend's like, she's like, dude, it's it's a dance. And I was like, yeah, but it's also a story. Like, obviously, it's a work, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But like when you're watching a TV show and you know it's not quote unquote real, you still tell the characters, like, dude, like, blah, 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 whatever. Right. That's how I was. I was like, Will move out of move will move, move. Yeah, and yeah. I I probably shouted for Will to move like twenty times during this match <laughs> and he just kept getting killed and I was like oh my god <laughs> and then do the that the super uh, German suplex spot where they're on the top and then oh uh, I got scared because I thought they were gonna do the dragon suplex spot but they didn't yeah well, well that one yeah Will lands on his feet um but then i'm talking about a spot where it's super so, german yeah he's going for the yeah. he's going for the one wing angel um but then yeah then then kenny reverses it like he throws him up and catches it was so end, high angle and then super high angle super german kenny looked nervous when that happened his face was like oh i hope we're okay here that was crazy but they, they pulled it off and man that that was crazy and then will summons up the courage and gets a gets the comeback spot and starts fighting back down the stretch and then they start exchanging blows yeah. uh so crazy he the, uh he had his uh the super junior the super junior final combo where he does um hit him blade hit him blade and the super os cutter yeah he hit all and the robinson special yeah he hit all of that that didn't work and then um he starts hitting hidden blades to the front of the face i mean he hit him with a couple hidden blades where i was like i hope his nose is not broken like he like really like laid him out mm-hmm. and it the, the match was just beautiful yeah dude 
Oh, man. And then down the tail end, they're doing the wrist clutches and they're trying to fight out of wrist control, very much like Okada and um, Tanahashi. And then they're they're reversing moves and suddenly Kenny hits him. Ken, they're, they're doing the, the go around, go around, go around. And oh, and the other thing too is Will keeps trying the whole entire match. Will is trying, to, and they they're both exchanging power bombs. Will keeps trying to get the um, Stormbreaker. Breaker, yeah. He just can't get it. Very very reminiscent of Okada Omega One in the Tokyo Dome, where mm-hmm. Okada never eats a single um, one winged angel. Anyways, he gets him in the um, the wrist clutch. German throws him back and and goes for the one, the two. Will kicks out, and I was like, oh, my God, he's going to Kamigoye him. Dude, yeah, as soon as I saw him have both hands, I was like, yeah, Kamigoye is coming. And once that Kamigoye came, like, I think the commentary team did a great job not selling that they knew it was coming. They're, like, talking about different things he could do there, and then, like, all of a sudden it's like, <gasps> Kamigoye, and it's like, oh, and then it's like the revenge for Kota Ibushi. Blah, blah. I, the only thing that would have made this more perfect is if Ibushi really there. had been there or shown up in some capacity. Yeah. Which, yeah. by the way, like, um, I know we're not like doing news news, but there was that um, January 28th or December 28th um, Anoki Bombay tribute show. And we were told that Ibushi was there and he was sitting with Sugabayashi and mm-hmm. uh, Takami Obari, which who knows if that means anything. Right, we have no idea what's going to end up. There's been a lot of news around Abushi, but yeah, maybe they're they're working hard to get him back in the fold, which that would add to this story incredibly. Um, but yeah, um, Omega he grabs the wrist, and Will he had nothing left, like he couldn't move, he couldn't reverse. So he just hawks a loogie at him, says "fuck you," <laughs> and he gets need to bow. Death. Kamagoye picks him up, one wing angel, one, two, three. Kenny Omega. Once again, is the IWGP United States champion. And there's probably a lot of people mad, but they're very quiet about it. I'm seeing no activity online about the detractors, about the Kenny Omega can't win or shouldn't win. Now, I'm not saying they're not going to come out of the woodworks because at the, if, if ultimately they botch any of this on any level, there's going to be complaints. And this show will be one of them. Like, we're not going to lie and tell you that the follow-up to this match wasn't handled correctly if it's not. But for how amazing this match was and how incredible the performance was, I think it really did shut up a lot of the detractors to realize like, oh my God, this could be the program that catapults Will Ospreay to true superstardom. Because like, let's think about it. Kenny Omega, right? He, you know, he turned on AJ Styles. People heard about it wasn't that big a deal. Mm-hmm. He wrestled Tanahashi, beat him, won the IC belt. Big deal, but wasn't that big a deal in the western like hemisphere. He did the matches with Elgin, got a lot of, you know, fanfare. He even won the G1. He does the G1 win, you know, he has the match there with Naito and Goto. All of that like was something that was rumbling on the on the like undercurrent for people that were tuned in. But for the average wrestling fan, none of that really mattered until it was Okada Omega, and then they go out there and they like have one of the greatest matches of all time, and it, all of a sudden it's like Kenny Omega is a god, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it wasn't like that before that match. I think for a lot of people, this is their come to Jesus moment for Will Ospreay to realize like, oh, 
this is one of the greatest talents that has ever lived. And I've heard about it, but there, but because of the buzz that this match is getting and is about to get, because I mean, I mean, I'm, we're not Liberty State, but I'm hearing that like, there are Raiders out there that are going to give this crazy ratings. Yeah, <laughs> and this match was also very, um, you know, very stylized off of um, Alpha versus Omega. Um, you know, yes, in the build. Yeah, and, and this, you know, Kenny Omega playing the role of Chris Jericho here, and Osprey playing the role of Kenny Omega from, from that view, where you have, you know, now you know, the big Western star, the big AEW guy uh, coming in, the more well-known guy worldwide. Uh, coming in against the, the Homer New Japan guy, and you know for the U.S. title, uh, giving him this big buzz. I even saw Kenny uh, doing a contest on his Instagram where he was, you know, giving people like New Japan subscription things, and so there was a lot of like buzz momentum coming from Kenny, bringing eyes to this matchup. So again, to your point, even more, you know, a lot of eyes coming to this match and seeing like, man, like it did business. Yeah, they said that the this is like one of the largest boosts and subscriptions they've ever had. And I'm sure a lot of that also has to do with Sasha, but uh, I think the majority of it probably has to do with Osprey versus Omega and how hyped that match is. And Mm -hmm. for a match that was this hyped to exceed the expectations. I mean, I think we both thought that that was possible, but a lot of people are like just blown away in that regard. The other thing too, and this is a really great thing about it. I don't know how real or fake the heat between Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay actually is. And that's a good thing. Now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's... um, They could just be completely working, right? And if they're completely working, then hats off to them because they are... Like, they're brilliant. Mm-hmm. They, they have made me believe that the hate between them is visceral and real and that there's this actual professional rivalry as well as personal that's like on a next level. And maybe there is some actual truth to it because the the, the promos and the actual work was so... I can't remember anyone that... Can you remember Kenny ever laying into anybody like he did Will? Mm, I don't think I can. Yeah. And I can't remember Will ever getting this heated in any program with anybody or, you know, speaking this personally to anybody before. And probably, Kenny, probably the same way too. So whether it's real or whether it's fake or a mixture of the two, work, shoot, whatever, doesn't matter because they've got me 100% believing it. And that's the stuff that I love about pro wrestling. When, When you get like a, Samoa Joe versus Brock Lesnar program. And I'm like, that seems kind of real. I don't know. What's <laughs> going- That's what this feels like, but this is better than that. You yeah. Know? Yeah. This, yeah. They did an excellent job with the bill, like all the promo stuff they were doing before we even knew about the match. Then the trios uh, tournament stuff in AEW. And, and they peaked a bit. They peaked like way before the match ever happened, mm-hmm. and, but it doesn't matter because they showcased six months ago what this could be. And then they delivered it in a three day span. Mm-hmm. And it's like, holy crap. And now, bro, I want Will Ospreay to get the belt back. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to see Will come back and, you know, vanquish Kenny Omega and kind of get his moment. Like you were saying in the post-match, he's like, I just wanted one thing. Like, I've been giving it my all. I've been giving everything. You know, I stayed here in Japan. and The post-match was I, yeah, great. I just wanted this one thing. I just wanted this one thing. He's like, if I can't get this done in the next year, like, I maybe I just need to leave. 
He was talking about like leaving New Japan, right? Because he did say before the match that he signed a five year deal. This is his twenty twenty three. This is his last year of his five year deal, and he doesn't know what he's going to do next. He said he, he probably will see himself staying with New Japan, but well, he's a smart man. I mean, you know, we're in a uh, different wrestling landscape. We're in a now. buyer's market now. Yeah, so I mean, if if he can, you know, shop himself around and and work a deal wherever that might maybe that's probably what's going to end up being best for him and best for business regardless. Um, but his post-match uh, promo afterwards, his and Kenny's and Don's were all great. So that's, that's why, that's why I mentioned like when I said in a three day period, like they, maybe it wasn't three days, but like the pre-show program, the mm-hmm. match itself, and then the post show, that stuff is all the highest level. Like, bro, <sighs> I know in the past, okay, like when we did Feud of the Year a few years back and like we were like, should we throw Omega and Jericho on there? They only had the one match and we opted not to throw it on there. Mm-hmm. This feels bigger and better than that even did oh, in, a yeah. cer- in a certain way. Maybe not like from a business standpoint, but like the actual, just the program. Even if, I think they are going to wrestle again this year. Maybe not in New Japan, maybe in AEW, but like. I'm already at the point where, like, we're looking at the feud of the year. Right Dude, yeah, if feud of the year is locked up, a match of the year is locked up. Oh yeah, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for anything to top this for match of the year right now. Yeah. Um, and here's the other thing too. Okay, maybe this is a one for one deal, right? And maybe they will wrestle in America in June or July or May or whatever for Forbidden Door. And Tony Khan will promote the crap out of it. And maybe at that point we will see Will Ospreay get the big win. And that's the end of the story. But I'm kind of feeling like maybe they think they make you think that that's what's happening. Just like when it felt like Omega was going to beat Okada at Dominion. Mm -hmm, The first time, yeah. The first time. And then he loses the rematch. And maybe... Will loses the rematch to Kenny, and maybe we're looking at a rematch in the dome next year. Mm-hmm. Like this is la- my, could, my last shot. Like if I don't beat Omega in the dome, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you have him. Then you do the Okada chase the next year. Mm-hmm. It's probably a lot of people don't want to hear that, but like that's the thing that just seems on paper to make the most sense to me. Um, well, there, there's money in the chase. You, you want to ex- obviously. Based off of that one match, you definitely want to do more. And there's there's more money to be made both in New Japan and in AEW. Um, so I think we're definitely going to see it at least one more time this year, if not three times. Or like we said, we, we wait until next year in Tokyo Dome Wrestle Kingdom 18, and, and they run it back there again. There's one last. There is one negative thing I will say, Jeremy. I think we'll probably disagree on this, but I just need to get my feelings <laughs> out there about this. Um, as much as as much praise as we're throwing on this match, as incredible as it is, and I, I for me this is an easy five star, easily probably match the year. This was just phenomenal, and also I still feel like they left a lot on the table. Mm-hmm, yeah, as definitely. talented as those two guys are, I feel like they didn't have. We didn't get a, a V trigger off cutter counter. We didn't the, get the Stormbreaker at all. There's like, a lot. There's so much we didn't get. I personally don't agree with those people that are saying that they think that this is easily for them in their top five or three or best, or there's, I've even seen people be like best match of all time already. I don't agree with that. And part of the reason why is because I think, and this is just my feeling, 
we have seen too much top end wrestling in just this company alone in the past six years. Not, and that's just putting aside like the top end stuff from like all Japan in the nineties or like Joshi in the nineties or any other number of fantastic matches you want to draw out. But like I could just off the top of my dome, the Okada Omega series, which that, you know, take your pick Mm -hmm. the Omega, um, Naito series, take your pick. Okada versus Shibata, Tanahashi versus Ibushi G1 finals. Now, I'm not saying that this match doesn't isn't in the conversation with those matches. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that for for me, there's no way that I could watch this particular match and turn around and be like better than all of those. <laughs> there's just no way. Like those those um and and I feel like Dave is going to turn around and do that. And I don't think that that's indicative of how good... Now, this match was very, 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 very good. But, like, I... Okay, let me put it to you this way. The first time I saw Okada Omega, I said to myself, I've never seen anything this good in my entire life. And when I watch it back, I still always feel that way. The first time I saw Kenny and Hangman and the Bucks, I said, this is maybe the greatest tag team match I, the only other tag team match I put in that level is like the 95 um, Holy Demon Army versus Super Generation match. I didn't feel that way watching this. I was blown away. I loved it. Five stars amongst the greatest of all time. But like, I didn't think it was that much better than Shuri Julia from just a few days ago. Let me put it that way. Yeah, I don't know. For me, like I, I watched Shuri Julia. I went uh, 4.75 on that. And for me, I guess also being more invested um, in Osprey and Omega. And, and I think on. that's a lot of it. I think it's the investment in them as characters and the hype. But for me, like I, like I watched this match twice already. Yeah. And I'm just like, this was like a next level. And I know a lot of people don't like when Dave does six and seven or whatever and bashing it. But I think you, you get to a point where like, all right, like you're saying, you have all these five-star matches. How do you determine between, okay, what is the, the best five-star match? But um, to me, I'm just like, this thing was like a masterpiece. This was another level than a lot of stuff that we've been seeing in right. New Japan, especially during this pandemic era. I'll see, you know, Will and Shingo and I, I, Will I, and Okada have been holding it down. But I think this is... I don't. I, I couldn't say specifically which one. Probably the match of the year from two years ago, the the, the Will Shingo match, the one from what was it, Dontaku? Uh, yes, for the twenty twenty one. That was our match of the year, right? Yeah. yeah. I didn't think this was like that. F- from a from an in ring standpoint, this was not better than that. From a story standpoint, it probably was. From an actual match, like the the actual moves itself, this is not better than Shingo Will. And that's kind of where I'm at with it. It's like it told an incredible story. It was fantastic. It was phenomenal. It's blow away. But like I'm a little bit like let's like slow like like let's give it a like week. you want to let it let it breathe. Like let's let it breathe and mm-hmm. let's see if a year from now we all feel that this was. I mean I don't I I'm not sure that I feel like this is this is probably better than most of the um, Tanahashi Okada matches, but like the top two, the ones from like Wrestle Kingdom nine and 10, I don't know if it's that much better than those. I'll put it up right against those. I would too. I I think that this is in the echelon. It's right in there, but that's not the, that's not what's being said. It's not, Mm -hmm. it's people aren't saying this belongs in that discussion. They're saying this is better than everything else we've seen. And a top three all time lifetime match. We've never seen anything like this. And I don't think that's true. 
I think we've seen lots of stuff that's just as good as this already in in the history of this show in this company. And it's and the the cage match ratings are making it the greatest match of all time. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think that's true. Yeah, it was like what nine. It's like at like nine point seven nine right now. Yeah, and then on Grapple last time it was like four point nine four. I think it's a lot of. I think it's we went through a really long period of time with the pandemic, and we haven't seen stuff like this in a long time. For a lot, so there's a lot of people that are like thirsty, and they're getting like like oh my god, this is incredible. But I think it's, I think it's a little bit more than that. Though. No, 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 it is. And again, I'm I'm saying that it is. I think it's up there, but I but they're saying it's beyond up there. They're saying this is a scale breaker. I don't think this is a scale breaker. That's what I'm saying. I don't know. I, I think well, I think definitely Dave's gonna break the scale on. I think Dave's gonna break the scale. Uh, but like, like, I don't know if I would say it's better than the uh, two out of three Omega Okada. No, uh, I don't think it is. I don't think it's in. I don't think it is at all. But it's definitely in, in that conversation, though. I think it's in the conversation, yes, for some of the great... It's one of the greatest matches I've seen in my life, but I wouldn't put it on a short list of three or five or ten or anything like that. I've just seen too much great wrestling. Yeah, that's what also happens when we watch New Japan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, we, we should uh, talk about, uh, you know, the world title match. <laughs> um, so, uh, main event two for the IWGB World Heavyweight Championship the Rainmaker Kazuchika Okada defeats Switchblade Jay White to regain the title. And personal for me, watching live after watching Omega and Osprey, I was like, I had a hard time getting into this match. I think that for people watching live, that probably is the case. Um, one thing I will say though, that wasn't the case for the live audience. The, no, yeah, the crowd was definitely still into this match. We've seen situations like remember Okada versus Omega at Wrestle Kingdom nine, or I'm sorry, twelve or no, eleven. What oh Okada Okada Omega mm-hmm. at Wrestle Kingdom eleven? They had to follow that incredible Tanahashi and um, Naito match. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took a while for the crowd to get back, and they had to work it in a specific way to get the crowd back. This match, they didn't have to do that. The crowd was pretty much still; they still stayed hype even after that incredible match. So that is one good thing. Um, I liked. It's funny Okada. Like they asked him about whether the the attire he wore was like a tribute to Anoki, and he came out and. You know, all black. black yeah. He's like, no, this is just random. These are just random. And I'm yeah, like, yeah, these colors don't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. That I'm wearing all black for the first time in my career since I was a young lion. It's like, <laughs> all right, okay. That that holds up. But um, I thought that his entrance was great. I thought uh, Jay's entrance was great. Jay was in the all white. And last time he was in the all white, he beat uh, Makata in the Tokyo Dome in uh, almost 15 minutes. Yep. And that match, I like that match better than this one. Um, yes. Yeah, <laughs> That, uh, I also liked that even though there wasn't a great build to this match, Jay was posting for last, like every day he was posting a very like enigmatic picture post. And it was, he was without using words, telling the story of them meeting together, coming together, him joining chaos, him turning on him, their match history, everything, blah, blah, blah. And he did that over the course of a week, which I thought was kind of like low key cool. Mm Hmm. The match itself, this was like a really good, not the best, but a really good version of the long version of a Jay White Okada match. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best I could put it. Like if you've seen Jay White and Okada wrestle before, this was like a version of that match. I'd probably go four and a quarter on it. I'll probably never watch it again. Um, I thought that, you know, 
Okada winning was the right call, and pretty much everyone saw that coming from a, a mile away. I, I did like their match at Dominion this past year better than this match. Mm-hmm. And considering how great the match was that was in front of them, and considering that they're the main event of the Tokyo Dome for the first time when fans are returning and how inventive and creative both of those guys are, I would have expected them to maybe do more or mm-hmm. tell a better story. And they kind of just went out there and had an Okada J white match. No better, no worse. It was what it was. Okada picked up the win. The, the, the only two big things that stand out in my memory is Okada kicked out of a, a blade runner. Yep. No one's ever kicked out of that, that I can recall. I think, um, Bushi did. Oh, that's right. Okay. So that's rare. Mm-hmm. And then Okada did a flipping senton to the outside off the top rope, which is very rare for him. Mm-hmm. Other than that, there there was not like anything vastly unique. Or o- Okada, Okada did do a uh, Blade Runner on a J. Oh yeah, they they both stole each other's finishers. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm not opposed to that, but it's kind of WWE ish. It is, but New Japan doesn't really do it. They don't do it, it's, but it's, it's fine for me, especially for J. Like I don't think anybody's. We've seen no, we've seen no one's it, ever it, done it to him. New Japan sometimes people they do each other's finishers, but nobody's ever yeah hit Jay with the Blade Runner before. AEW's been doing a lot of it though too, so that's another reason why I probably have a little bit of a distaste because they've been doing a lot of matches where people steal their finishers mm-hmm, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, but I agree with you. I'm four and a quarter. Um, thought it was yeah a really good Okada Jay matchup. Some cool sequences. Um, Okada was I feel like he was knocking the soul out of Jay White with some of those Rainmakers. Uh, especially uh, the last one, but yeah, I thought the the closing sequence was really good. Like I was saying, with Okada um, hitting a Blade Runner of his own, and then um, each other kind of there was a lot of like reversals of the Rainmaker um, until finally um, Okada, you know, he hits the 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 Flosion landslide, and then um, does the the Rainmaker and gets the win. Uh, and then post match, he's doing his post match comments, and Chingo comes out and challenges Okada for the title, says he's going to win KOBW title and stand across him uh, for the title. And then um, Okada sends everybody home happy, does the the each knee sanda on on the stage, and they play Noki's music, and it was a, a great way to close out that show. Yeah, um, post match, both guys. Um you know, were interviewed, and I thought that Jay, while I think it went a little too long, Jay cut a really, really impassioned promo, and we've seen him do that before it, after the Tokyo Dome loss. What was that? Was that last year? Yeah, the whole. Um, was it last year or the year Jamie. before? I'm I, Jamie. I can't um, remember if it was last year or the year before. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think it might have been the year before. I can't remember now. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Who did remember. Jay wrestle last year? I don't even remember, bro. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyways, we've seen him do that before, and th- that one was probably better than this. But he really went through the whole. He told us. St- oh, he wasn't on the Tokyo Dome last year. That's right. I was gonna say that might have been the case, but I couldn't recall if that was or not. Yeah, so it was the year before. Okay. Well, with this promo, he he did a lot of soul searching and he kind of like went through all of his monikers, all of his nicknames and all the different things that have kind of gone on over the past year and a half with his character and, and almost like remorseful, like in, and in unbelief that like 
everything that's happened in his bullet club run has led to this moment where he thought it was going to be his crowning achievement and he failed and he's not sure why. And he's like back at the drawing board, but he's also like a man defeated and like dejected, but like frustrated, but also angry and like he's giving in, but he's not giving in. It was yeah. Blamed a lot on Hikaleo at the end. That was the one thing he was like, the only thing that didn't fall into place with my plan was Hikaleo. So he's, he's like gunning for Hikaleo because he ruined his life and, He's like, you know, you, you hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you essentially. And, yeah. but, um, I saw a lot of people that saw this and were like, like the, I don't know if this is like a collective thing, but there's, there does seem to be a contingent of fans that are big time Jay White supporters. And they they are, they were like having a field day last night talking about all of you people that complained about the build and the lack of build and the lack of character growth with Jay don't realize that everything they were going to do with him has had to be put on hold because of the pandemic. And now they're clearly going back to it. And they're like, and clearly something is changing with him as a character and we're moving forward. And they were like rejoicing. (laughs) But I felt like watching that, that this is a man on the way out of the company. And we said during the preview for the show, we don't know anything but it just feels like he's out of there, like he's gone. And that now we could be wrong, but we're about to talk about New Year Dash and coming out of this promo and then the fallout of New Year's Dash. It really made me start to be like, this guy might be for real on his way out of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Mm-hmm. And maybe we're getting worked, but that seems to be the direction they're going. And for better or for worse, that might be a good thing. I mean, if it is the swan song for. Uh, Jay and him moving on to greener pastures for him, that might be good. Or that if he is staying, this might be the exact sort of shakeup for his character that needs to take place for any of this to keep working. Because right now he has felt cooked and stale for years. Yeah. And, and people who want to say, Oh, they waited for the pandemic. Well, they, they put the belt on this man in June in dominion and yes. he disappeared. Yeah. Like he was barely in Japan. Yeah. He's only doing New Japan strong, working his, his little 10 minute tag matches against, you know, uh, Dark Order guys and stuff like that. Like, and, I, was, and I'm not, I'm not even blaming it all on him. I think a lot of this falls on the company too, but right. he has felt like a man departed from the company for a year now. Yeah. And he was champion for six months. The only thing that, like, the only thing that has happened this year that has mattered when it comes to Jay White is the Tamatonga feud. And this outside of that, it's been literally nothing, including this title, this Tokyo dome title feud and match. Yeah. So we're gonna talk about a new year dash real quick here. Uh, I think we can focus mainly on, on the result in the angles a very angle heavy new year dash. Um, Hopefully we can remember all the angles. <laughs> well, I got, I got the review up here and we just got done uh, watching it not too long ago. They did. Um, they did hold this one from um, Ota city war gymnasium as right. opposed to traditionally we used to get it from Cork and hall. So, right. But the, the last dash, uh, um, Oh yeah, that was uh, that was in a Oto War. Well, no, no was, did it, Tokyo it, did it, Tokyo Dome City Hall or something. It like. was like Tokyo Dome City Hall or yeah. something like that. Some uh, I don't know the name of it. But yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah. So we'll run through the matches real quick. But it was a clapping crowd. Yeah. It was, so that, yeah, because that it's, it's, it's a government it, building. Yeah. It looked great, but they didn't have a. It was all clap crowds. So that kind of sucked. Yeah. So uh, open the match. We had Evil Dick Togo and Yujiro of the House of Torture. They defeated Ren Narita, Tiger Mask, and Tony Hanma. Uh, tons of shenanigans there. Um, 
towards the end, after the post-match, they were beating down Narita, and then out came Suzuki, and out came Desperado. Yeah, so, I mean, um, and they came in separately, so it was like first, you know, we get Suzuki out there, and he's dressed in his, like, I call street it gear. his Instagram street gear, because he never dressed, dude, he never, yeah. I've never seen him dressed. He's usually in, full gear. He's like pack. He's either in full gear or he's in a Suzuki Goon tracksuit. I've never seen him show up in street clothes. He was wearing a fedora yeah. and like a Giorgio Armani shirt. Or actually it was his own shirt, but like it's styled after that. But uh, yeah, he came in and I was like, that's kind of weird. Like, why is he helping Narita? But there's no Suzuki Goon, so new character paths. Then after he's getting beat down, Desperado comes out. And I mean, at this point, I think that's probably good because these are three guys that have all just kind of lost or had their like aspirations derailed. Seems like they're going to feud with House of Torture, who are the reigning never open weight six man tag team champions. Um, so it's fine. I, I think this is a, a cool, fresh way to go. We don't have challengers for those belts set up anyways. Narita's kind of like hasn't joined with any groups. The only thing that was a little weird is like, Suzuki goons broke up, but Despy and like uh, Suzuki are still together in some way or connected or teaming. It's, I don't know. It's like, why did we break up? But whatever. Right. And then even next thing. So then we had Taichi, Doki and Kanamaru being accompanied by Takamichi Noku uh, all together again. And they faced off against Will Ospreay and catch two two uh, before the match. Takahi cut a promo and says that they are just four guys. Yeah, a couple changes. Um, Taichi was still in his same gimmick and gear, but he got rid of the blonde streak that he had just the day prior, so all black hair. That's a little interesting. Mm -hmm. And then Taka was dressed up. We never see him. He was like in a suit with like glasses and a scarf. Mm -hmm. So maybe they're trying to work some gimmick. But then, then he cuts a promo and says, we are just four guys, and that's the name of their group. And it's like, bro, I said when this group broke up, I was worried about Doki, and about Tai Chi and wasn't sure where Kenamaro is going to fit in. And it's like, you're just four guys. That's you're Jags. <laughs> yeah. You're just four. You're just, you're just guys. That's one of the worst group names. That's worse than the union. That's worse than, <laughs> than any terrible undercard dark team that that's been named on AEW. Like yeah. this is horrible. Just, and they're throwing up the four. <laughs> it's just four guys. But then they turn around and because it is Doki, Taichi and Kanemaru, they go, they turn around and probably have the match of the night with United empire. And like, they have a great match, but, um, that this United empire group, especially will, will came out and just piss. <laughs> yeah. And like lately they've been feeling kind of like tweeners who are a little bit heel leaning. This felt very heel leaning and they were, they, they want to get their pound of flesh. So. Yeah, yeah, Osprey, he was going after Taichi and uh, Catch 2 2 going after Doki and Kanamaru, but uh, Doki was able to kind of get the quick win over on Akira towards the end of the match there. So clearly they're setting up uh, Doki and Kanamaru to challenge Catch 2 2. And then Osprey and Taichi had a big brawl post match. It looks like we're yeah, he kicked He kicked uh, Taka in the balls. Oh, yeah, he kicked Taka in the balls. And then. Um, he was talking crap to Taichi. He was like, uh, why don't you go talk to your friend Zach? Oh, Zach won't talk to you anymore. And Taichi got pissed. And that's when they started fighting. Yeah, so I don't know if they're going to continue any sort of program between them, but we're definitely getting a tag team um, junior title program coming out of this. So there, yeah. there is that. And it looks like they're trying to get a little heat back on United Empire after you know Will losing in the Dome. He's never won in the Dome as the leader of this group. Yeah. Yeah, United Empire has a pretty bad track record in Tokyo Dome. 
So then after that, we had Zack Sabre Jr., Mike Nichols, and Shane Hayes, TMDK. They defeated the Chaos team of Bishamon and Ishii. So first time we're seeing Sabre with uh, Nichols and Hayes. They are calling him the front man of TMDK. Um, so uh, Hayes and Nichols here, they, they get the win over Yoshihashi. So we're setting up a tag team title match with uh, Hayes and Nichols against Bishamon and then Ishii uh, kind of got in Sabre's face uh, post-match, so it seems like we're going to get a TV title match with Sabre and Ishii. Yeah, that, that's all great. I'm looking forward to all that, and this was good. And then uh, after that, um, Zach, he went over. He, they, they did the traditional Team DK sit on the apron, and he's like, wait, we need, we need one more member. He runs over. He grabs um, Fuji- Kose Fujita. Yeah, Kose Fujita and... Rips off the tracksuit, rips off the Lion Mark shirt, puts on the TMDK shirt, and he's like, this is my young boy. And, and during the um, New Japan World Tag or World Television Title Tournament, they did do that angle where he was facing off against, I believe, was it Evil? Yeah. And he had utilized both Oiwa and Fujita as diversions of his, and people were kind of speculating, is there any chance that he incorporates one of these two guys into... Suzuki Goon or his group or whatever and so it kind of makes sense that there's a connection there but uh, Fujita apparently based on what we saw he's not going to be a graduated member he's going to be their young lion kind of like the way Hikaleo was or Cody Hall was like a young lion in the Bullet Club yeah and kind of similar to how like Umino was John Moxley's young lion so much so that Zach got gotten he was like suck on that uh, Moxley. Moxley so it's like he's like you had shooter like he's got Fujita yeah one, one other thing I do want to point out in the past with these shows, typically they, we don't know what we're getting going into the show, but before the show starts, they do a rundown. And from there you can kind of see the card and kind of in your mind, speculate on what programs, who's going to win what, cause you know, a lot of the champions are going to take falls. Mm-hmm. But on this night, they didn't do that. Every single match was like a total mystery to everybody, including the the, the participants, quote unquote. So, little different vibe. Yeah, the only match we knew was the uh, the KOPW four way. Yeah, and we didn't. We thought we knew where it was going to be placed, but it was a little bit different than what we thought. Uh, then after that, we had Umino, Taguchi, Makabe, and Yo. They defeated Bushi, Naito, Hiromu, and Sonata. Yo got the the upset uh, win on Hiromu here, so it looks like we're going to get another uh, junior title match between Yo and Hiromu. And he pinned him with his um, what's it called, the overdrive or whatever. Yeah. So um, it was a clean or direct drive, direct drive. Yeah. So I mean, he 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 didn't like roll him up. He like nailed him with the direct drive, pinned him clean. So uh, any fear I had about Dragon Gate offers and him leaving the company, it seems like they're trying to make a, an effort to keep Yo around and keep him involved. So they're giving him a, a title run. And this also speaks to Hiromu talking about, you know, other people who aren't perceived as being like one of the big three in the division getting title shots. Mm-hmm. And then also they continue to set up uh, Umino and Naito. They had some great exchanges in this match. Umino dropped Naito with a nasty exploder. Taguchi needs to get new gear. Like, you make a lot of money, just buy some new gear. Like, you cannot be wrestling in constantly ripped gear. It's horrible. <laughs> he, his his horse masked gear is fresher and better looking than it his is. Taguchi gear. Uh, so, yes, after the match, Yo grabbed the mic, uh, made the towel challenge. Then we went to Wato, Hikaleo, Tanahashi, and Tamatanga, defeating Jay White, Kenta, ELP, and Ishimori by disqualification when ELP hit... Um, who did he hit with the Never title? Was it um, Hikaleo that he hit with the Never title? 
No, he hit uh, Tamatonga. Yeah, he hit Tamatonga with the never title. That's right, because they're setting up that never title match. So, yeah, we got a DQ, and then Jay White just went ballistic after the match, grabbed a chair, and was um, just broke the chair over Hikaleo. Well, got Kenta a- also took the title and smacked Tanahashi in the face with it, too. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Jay Speed got to the point where even, like, ELP was trying to stop him from, yeah. from beating up Hikaleo. And then uh, Jay grabbed the mic, and he... Uh, lay out a challenge, a loser leaves Japan match with him and Hikaleo. Yeah, he cut a promo talking about how important Japan, you know, is to both Hikaleo and his family and his father and their history. And, you know, he, he gave a, a whole background and he was like, so the, you've taken a lot away from me. So the, the, the greatest thing I could take from you is Japan. You don't have anything else. And so you and me, one-on-one, loser leaves Japan, which is like, bro, if they're going to stick to that stipulation, which they may, I don't know. They've never done this before. They don't really do too many loser leaves town matches in Japan. Mm-hmm. But if they if they do that and Jay loses, then that's the clear sign. He's out of here. He's out of here. And there are probably some Jay White-like um, people that are like, that hate him and are hoping that this is his exit and they're like, good riddance. And then there's people that love him and are, very, very nervous. And I'm kind of on the fence where I'm like, I don't really know what to expect from them. I, I can't see them. I can't see them getting rid of Hikaleo unless they're sending him away to repackage him. Which I doubt. They, with, they pretty yeah. much just got repackaged with, with joining Hontai and his brothers. And yeah. they've been giving him a push. This seems to tell. And I, I mean, the other, the other thing they could have done is beat him out of the group a la AJ Styles all those years ago. But, um, this seems like Jay is on the way out and we've kind of been alluding to it on this show. And I think maybe we are right. Or maybe they're subverting our expectations and playing off public perception and they're going to do something different that we're not expecting either way. This whole thing became very interesting. Yeah. Then after that semi-main event, we had the KOPW 2023 provisional championship match. Shingo Takagi defeats Great Okan, Sho, and Toriyano to uh, be the first provisional champion of the year. Hit the last of the dragon on uh, Toriyano. Um, post-match, it seemed like him and Great Okan had some beef, so we'll probably have Okan uh, being the first challenger for Shingo. Yeah, Shingo left off of the Tokyo Dome, had a lot of um, you know beef and, and everything, cutting promos about how he was in the main event the year prior, and then the next year he's in you know, the dark matches and everything. And I don't even know if we mentioned that he came out post-show and challenged um, Okada to a title match Mm -hmm. um, at Wrestle Kingdom. So he's already came out and really established himself as the first challenger for Okada. So we've got a situation here where it's like, he's in LIJ. They're getting ready to do a big storyline between LIJ and Congo at the cross-promotional show. I'm sure he's going to be involved. And he's the KOPW champion, and it seems like they might be setting up him and Okan. And he's the number one contender to Okada and getting ready to have a big match with him. And I believe they made it sound like it was February. So he's gone from being an afterthought to being a primary player in three different storylines in the company simultaneously. Yeah, so all Shingo fans, yeah, he's kind of back on track now um, and being put in, you know, big main event against Okada, being in. KLPW, which has a title now, and then this big interpromotional feud as well. I did not like, um, I don't like the the look or the design of the new uh, KLPW title. Yeah, it looks very cheap. Yeah, it looks cheap, and I don't like the Velcro on the back, even though that probably makes it easier for people to put the belt on. Um, I, I, I'm just not a big fan of the last two belt designs, that and the... Uh, TV title. The TV title. Yeah. 
So then we had the main. Oh, also, last thing. Shingo was like talking about how he's like, it makes no sense. I fought for this thing all during the um, one of the pressers. He's like, I fought for this thing all year. Then at the end of the year, I win it. And now I'm not champion again. It makes no sense. He's like, but at least there's an actual belt. And I'm like, did you just hear yourself? <laughs> you like you are satisfied holding a title, like a, a title belt, even if you're not the actual champion. That's a fucking <laughs> belt mark. <laughs> Well, that's what he wanted this whole time. He wanted a, a physical title, a physical belt, and not the trophy. The only thing I do like about the title, um, they have um, nameplates on the side. I don't know if you noticed this, where mm. every year the final champion gets engraved into the belt. So they have the first three champions engraved, and they have open slots for the remainders. Yeah, I do like that. That's a, that's a cool design. Uh, so then the uh, the main event. At this point, I was tr- I was questioning, like, wait, wait. I, I was spoiled on this. I knew what the... The match was, and you know, Jeremy's like, "Well, Kata hasn't come out, but all of his teammates have already wrestled." I mean, what is? Is he going to defend the title? And I'm like, <laughs> "Bro, you're forgetting something." Like, and he's naming everybody on the roster. He's like, "They've already been out here," and all of a sudden, like, you hear like, da, 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 yeah. and Jeremy's like, "What? What?" <laughs> and it's funny they cut to a, a girl in the crowd. She's crying. She's crying. Uh, uh, it was just so funny. And then, and then Jeremy's like, "Wait." Are Omega and Okada gonna te- team together? <laughs> yes. Like, yeah, oh bro. my gosh. Yeah. So yeah, Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada, two new champs. They teamed up for the first time to defeat United Empire's Jeff Cobb and Aaron Hanare, and this was a really fun main event. Just kind of a crazy moment, almost like seeing you know Okada and Tanahashi team for the first time. Uh, but yeah, seeing Okada and Omega team for the first time, just kind of a crazy moment. Crowd, you know, they couldn't cheer. They were rumbling. They were ooing and awing. They were loving this. And um, Omega and Okada, they hit a, uh, a Rainmaker V-Trigger combo. Okada gets the pin off of uh, Aaron Hanare. And uh, post-match, Kenny and Jeff Cobb were jawjacking. So it seems like uh, Jeff Cobb will be... Kenny's first challenger for the IWGP US Championship. And then uh, we have the closing match promo with Okada. And Shingo once again interrupts Okada and challenges him again. He says, you know, I, like I said, I was, I was going to win KOPW, come in with that title and challenge you again. And Okada accepted the challenge uh, for the future title match. Uh, we don't know when that match is happening because... Uh, Chris Charlton did say that he got the date wrong in the translations when Shingo was cutting his promo on Wrestle Kingdom 17. Uh, I'm assuming, you know, we have a lot of new beginning shows coming up at the end of this month and in February. Um, it'll be on one of the on those bigger shows. But yeah, that was New Year's Dash, a very angle heavy show. Lots of new directions, a lot of fresh feuds, well, fresh matchups. Here's the funny thing. Um because it seems like they they're setting up a Jeff Cobb versus Kenny Omega um, title match, and I don't know if that will happen in Japan, or if that will happen for AEW, or if that will happen for New Japan of America. Because the bat, they they're they're also having pa- uh, pay per view shows as well, and there's three options there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if I said this to you, Jeremy, before. But Rich Latta will back me up on this. Being him, we. We talk quite a bit, like, because both of us have work from home jobs and, like, you know, we're not working, we'll just call each other. <laughs> and when we were booking this whole thing out, I was like, Kenny's going to beat Will. And then he's like, well, what does he do in between? And I was like, well, he could be defending the title periodically in big spots. And I was like, 
I was like, there's probably some, some names that could use a big Kenny Omega match for guys that would benefit that wouldn't be capable of winning the title right now. And I was like, for instance, and I swear to God, I was like, Jeff Cobb would be the perfect guy to, to face him next. I was like, he's been to America. He's been on Tony Khan's television before they try to make an offer to, to sign him in the past. He's a guy that's like done historic things in, in the G one and he's never held that title. He's the perfect guy. Mm -hmm. And lo and behold, who do they bring out to challenge this man for his belt? Also, don't be surprised if um, in Winnipeg, AEW doesn't do Kenny versus Jericho three for the U.S. title, considering their history, considering the city, considering their history with that title, they're probably going to do that. And so people are going to complain about Kenny not being in the company, but look what we're getting out of it. And I'm excited one way or the other. I thought that this show was jam-packed with a lot of you know, heavy angles and it's uh, a lot of fresh direction. It's going to be very interesting to see what's, uh, what's on the horizon for some of this stuff. Yeah. And then also, uh, we still have the other night of Wrestle Kingdom 17 on January 21st. And that was confirmed once again, just like last year to be a joint show between new Japan pro wrestling and pro wrestling Noah. So they made that announcement official today will be just like last year in Yokohama arena cross promotion they didn't specify a card, uh, a press conference to announce the full card will take place on Noah's official YouTube channel on 3 a.m. Eastern on January 6th. So by the time you hear this, that card should be announced. Okay, so we don't know the card yet, but it sounded like they were probably not just doing tag matches with Congo and LIJ. They've got right. other things. Up. Yeah, Kano made it very clear. He's like, I, I want some singles matches. So yeah, maybe we get Kano versus uh, somebody. One other interesting thing I forgot to mention. I saw in Tokyo Sports today that there was a report about that um, Okada has been signed not to New Japan, but to Bushi Road for a little while now, and that there are plans potentially down the or you know aspirations to basically insert him in a, a management role down the road, potentially like a presidentship like we used to see with other wrestling companies. They haven't done that in a long time. Yeah, that's and, very interesting. Yeah, I, I, I obviously I don't speak Japanese, so I can't totally understand the article. But that seemed to be the gist of of it, and that might have something to do with some a lot of the post match like comments we saw from him on both of these days. So I don't know. Yeah, but man, a lot to unpack here, a lot to discuss. I yeah. think we kept it kind of short for us, actually. Well, we're about hitting up that three hour mark uh, right now, but. Yeah, we got in, got in Tokyo Dome, New Year's Dash. And, uh, yeah, that's going to wrap it up for us for this week. Uh, make sure you uh, check out uh, Josh's uh, solo episode he did earlier this week reviewing uh, NJPW Tamashi. Tamashi. Tamashi, which is the uh, the Oceanic brand coming from New Japan Pro Wrestling. I will figure out how to get better audio quality. Um, I was having issues with my throat, so I, my voice is not nearly as bombastic as it normally is. And even still, I'm kind of struggling today. But, um I thought I listened to it and I don't normally listen to my own shows, but you know, it's just over an hour. I thought it was pretty good. And um, if you are interested in finding out more about what that Tamashi project is and was and will be and my thoughts on it, give that a listen. I'm sure, you know, the, the boys over in um, Oceanic region will probably appreciate it. Yeah. So yeah, next week we'll be back to announce the winners of the 2022 Keeping It Strong Style Year End Award. So be stay tuned for that next week. And yeah, so if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuitflex.com slash donate. 
and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram, we're at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Eye. Josh is Keeping a Strong Style. You can email me, Jeremy at SocialSuplex.com. And check out all the other shows that we have here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. And James has been in Japan the last two weeks. He was at the Tokyo Dome and a lot of year-end shows. So you'll have a lot of great perspectives to share on One Nation Radio. We also have uh, The Grave Consequences with Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The AEW Match Guide podcast by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator by Danny Kukler. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Goodbye and good night. Bang. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.